Now, introducing a man whose sex tape was also leaked, only to be returned and people's money refunded when they realized he was the only star. When reached for comment, he said, well, I guess it's back to the drawing board. I'll find a way to make those millions one day. Nobody wants to see that. He is Glenn Clark. Good morning. It is Glenn Clark Radio. I am Glenn Clark. He is Paul Valley. I was going to say the words happy Thursday, but I had to go to the dentist this morning, and I swear, it's a very nice guy. I'm not, the guy walks in, and I, this is like the, probably the fourth person I've seen since I've been there, and I don't know what everybody's job is. Somebody's a hygienist, somebody's an assistant, somebody's a dentist, somebody's, I, there's all sorts of different people coming into the room, but one of the guys walks in, and he's like, hey, how are you? I'm good. Everything going well today? Yeah. You having a good Thursday? Y- y- yeah. It's only just ha- begun. Happy Thursday. Like four different. I just sort of wanted to say, like, guy, get to it. <laughs> get to the point, man. What? You tell me there's something wrong with my teeth. What are we doing here? How many different ways can we have this this conversation? I swear it was so awkward to me. And then the last one was, and I finally, when he said Happy Thursday, I just said back, Yeah. Like, I'm done. Let's go on, man. And he was a very nice guy, and I feel bad being mad about it. But, like, I, I think I think this is because I don't drink coffee and other people drink coffee. Bro, I'm just not where you are. Like, it's 8 a.m. You're in a different place than I am, bro. Like, you are in a, like, hey, man, what's going on? Is everything, everything good? We could go to uh, uh, Hula Hands, get ourselves some uh, the, some jalapeno poppers later. Yeah, let's, let's do it. I'm like, yeah, bro, I don't. I just want to get the... Please just clean my teeth. Please just clean my teeth. Let me be on with my day. Let me get to the next part of my day, and we can stop on the happy Thursday. But for the rest of you, happy Thursday. Good morning. It's Glenn Clark Radio. I'm Glenn. He's Paul. Uh, busy day today. Uh, coming up in just a few minutes. Uh, I'm looking forward to this. The legend himself, DJ Cool, is going to join us. He is coming to the CIA tournament. The CIAA tournament, sorry. He's coming to the CIAA tournament and specifically is hosting a party tomorrow at Ramshead Live. We will talk to him about that and, you know, of course, the greatness that is Let Me Clear My Throat, which I stand by as being one of the most important cultural moments of my lifetime. We'll talk to him about that. Later on in the program, we're going to chat with uh, Nick Timberlake, uh, the leading scorer for Towson Basketball. They got another win last night, had a huge lead. It got cut all the way down to three. And I was starting to feel nervous. Not just nervous for Towson, nervous for our buddy Aaron Oster, who, of course, said confidently yesterday on Simply the Bets, you guys can bet Towson to cover. They're kicking everybody's ass right now. Eight and a half points isn't too much. And I was, you know, taking that advice. And it was looking hairy for a second, but then they, they, they for whatever reason, it just clicked again. And then they ended up uh, kicking Madison's ass in the second half. So we'll talk about that. Um, they they are in a weird place as far as trying to win the CAA outright or at least um, you know get to that tie that they would have the tiebreaker for because they do have to win out. They have one more game on the road at Madison, then they have that weird makeup second half against Delaware in which they're trailing by nine points. And it, it's not easy to dig out of a nine-point hole, but it's a really good Towson team, and I'd like to think that they would be capable of doing that. It's just a weird spot to be in going into Monday night. Uh, also this morning, we're going to chat with Kevin Goldstein from Fangraphs. Of course, uh, even more notably, he was part of the Astros front office, and so we tried to catch up with uh, Kevin um, on uh, quite a few occasions as the Orioles have gone through this process because he knows a thing or two about what it is they're trying to do and how they're monitoring it. But 
Fangraphs just released their uh, top 100 prospects, and not only was Adley Rutschman number one, they are probably the most bullish I've seen anybody about Grayson Rodriguez as they had him number three uh, in all of baseball on their list, so we will talk to him about that. And our weekly NFL draft segment, it's been a while since we've had KZ back on, so he'll do this week's draft segment and look ahead to what is coming at the Combine next week in Indianapolis. So that is all on tap on a Thursday edition of the program. I mentioned simply the bets. If you missed it yesterday, you can find it right now. Pressboxonline.com slash video, youtube.com slash pressboxonline, facebook.com slash pressboxsports. Click on the videos tab, all those places. It's available there. Simply the bets. We do it every Wednesday at 1130-ish, 30-ish, somewhere in that range. As um, we talk about everything going on in the world of sports betting with our buddy uh, Bruce Billick from the G- general manager of the FanDuel Sportsbook at Live Casino in Hotel Maryland, as well as our pal Aaron Oster from VEASAN, who, again, he told you last night you could bet. You could, be, you could feel comfortable betting Towson despite the fact that it was a huge number, and he proved to be right about that. So uh, he's on a bit of a heater right now on Simply the Bets. Make sure you are tuned in each week. And, again, if you missed it, you can find it. It's all brought to you by the FanDuel Sportsbook at Live Casino and Hotel Maryland. So, yeah, big win for Towson last night. Uh, was a was a, I want to say thriller because it was a very low-scoring game down in Annapolis, but Navy on the final defensive stand. It was a tie game 50-50 with them and Loyola, and Navy came away with a huge steal and scored at the end of the game in order to beat Loyola. So that's big for them as they try to solidify. I think they indeed clinched the number two seed in the Patriot League because of it. Uh, Loyola's trying to stay out of the fifth seed. They want to try to get that fourth spot in the Patriot League because that means you get to host a quarterfinal game. Right now they're sitting in a tie for fifth as Lehigh moved back ahead, but they do have the tiebreaker over Lehigh, so they'll hope for the best going into the final day of the Patriot League regular season. And UMBC got a big win last night as well over Hartford, a high-scoring affair, sort of the opposite of the Loyola Navy game. As it's been a struggle for UMBC. It's been very up and down for them. Like they had a stretch their plan really well, and then it's been a weird year for UMBC. Um, but we will see as the America East, I would not say it's open. It's definitely still Vermont's league, but we'll see as they head towards the postseason. It is that exciting time of year where the conference tournaments are about to get underway, particularly in the smaller conferences next week and then the big conferences the following week. But unfortunately around here, the big conference stuff doesn't matter all that much because, you know, Maryland, that's what it is. With that in mind, I do have a question for you today, and I'm asking at Glenn Clark Radio on Twitter, and I want to talk about, try to get into it later on this hour, get to some of your responses. Um, You know, if you picked up the new print issue of Pressbox, you'll see Gary Williams there on the cover as we celebrate the 20th anniversary of Maryland basketball's national championship run in 2002, cutting down the nets in Atlanta. And we also uh, talked to all the players inside, got some of their, um, trying to have them relive some of the more magical moments of that season. It was a really unique experience putting this issue of Press Box together. I really enjoyed doing it. And you can go pick it up for free at your neighborhood Royal Farms, any of the hundreds of locations around town where you find Press Box, or read it all at PressBoxOnline.com. I bring that up because Maryland's official celebration of the anniversary is coming up on Sunday for the Ohio State game. And I have written and talked to you guys a little bit about how my perspective has changed. 
20 years later. And then I, you know, I was really kind of touched in talking to Gary Williams about how his perspective has changed 20 years later about that championship team. And I want to know if yours has at all. I just want to know if you, in reflecting on it now, as Maryland gets ready to celebrate and they've rolled out a lot of their own content in the last couple of weeks and, you know, Gary's been doing some of the media rounds. He was on with us earlier in the week. I want to know if your perspective has changed whatsoever in looking back on that 2002 run. So I want you to think about that. Get to me at Glenn Clark Radio. Has it changed? How has it changed? Why do you think it's changed? Some of it just comes, you know, with you. Anything, perspective of anything can change with your own age, right? Like my perspective of a lot of things that happened in 2002 are different in 2022 than they were in 2002. But has your perspective changed based on the way that college basketball has changed? I'll, I'll tell you, for example, it is disappointing to me in a way that we'll never feel anything quite like that. And when I say that, it's not because Maryland could never win another national championship. It's because Maryland will not win another national championship with a veteran roster or a roster that's that much of a veteran roster. It'll never happen again. You'll never be led by two superstar seniors, a superstar junior, an emerging sophomore, obviously, in in Chris Wilcox. That won't occur. It's just not going to happen that way. Obviously, players had the option to leave early in 2002, but did not use it in the same way. It wasn't considered at that time detrimental to stay four years. It has reached the point now where if you go into the NBA draft after playing college basketball for four years, it's considered a detriment to you. You have to leave before that if you're good enough, which isn't to say that no senior ever gets drafted. Of course they do but it's considered a negative. You're at an older age. Instead of it being a thought, well, maybe they're more NBA ready, the thought is the exact opposite. Why didn't we think they were good enough a year ago? Perspective has changed for me because it's disappointing to think that we won't ever... Part of what made that so special was, of course, the tribulations that Maryland basketball had been through, But part of what made it so special is we had watched those players, the two most important parts of that team, for four years. We love Eric Weddle in Baltimore, right? He wasn't here for four years. We got to watch those guys play for four years. Build, go through disappointment, all of it. And the opponents they were going up against, we had largely watched for years. We'll never experience that again. My kids will never see that. And again, I get it. I'm not, I am certainly not arguing that players should be forced to stay in college. It's just a bummer to think about that. As I've, how has my perspective changed? I've told you some of the other ways, but my perspective has also changed in thinking about what a bummer it is that no one will ever experience that again at Maryland. That there will never be anything quite like that. There will be other players that stay for four years. It's not like it'll never happen again. But the idea of having the three key cogs 
most important cogs of a national title team being two seniors and a junior, forget it. Forget it. It's not happening that way. You will not have as much equity with players that ever, if Maryland were to ever get back to that point, players that would lead them to a national championship. And that's... It's a bummer. I mean, that's, I'm not trying to oversell it. I'm not trying to be dramatic about it, but it's a bummer thinking about that. It's a bummer thinking that we'll never feel that even if Maryland were to return to that type of relevancy at some point because it's part of what made it so special, feeling everything they went through, watching those players grow, watching them develop, feeling a connection with them beyond you know, just a guy that transferred in almost a mercenary type and led your team to a, a, a title. takes nothing away from it. It doesn't mean that winning a national, whoever wins the national championship this year, it's going to feel empty. And again, it might be that there's a senior on the roster. It might be that there's, it's unlikely that it's a senior that was an All-American the year before. There are unique circumstances where a player, you know, we, we were talking about Luca Garza earlier in the week with Mike Francis. If Iowa had made some sort of crazy run last year, it might have felt similar to that because Luca Garza had been there forever. But it's just rare. It's rare. And the idea of all of the important pieces being guys that have been there for at least three years, it's not happening again. That Those days are over. So that's one of the ways in which the perspective has changed for me. I've told you some of the other ways in which the perspective, the more, the greater appreciation that I have because of all of the struggles that Maryland basketball has been through in the 20 years since and realizing that like maybe it really wasn't about the program, it was just about an unbelievable head coach and a special group of players and that perhaps the thing that we felt 20 years ago, like there was this sort of birthright, oh, there's all this talent here, Maryland's going to be good forever realizing that just might not have been the case. There's a handful of schools that inherently get to be in the national championship conversation every year. Maryland crashed the party. It's wild to think about that. And so my perspective has changed in that way too, in that 20 years ago, I, was, I, I, I wrote about it. I, I was walking out of Cole Fieldhouse because we watched the game at the Cole Fieldhouse that night. And I remember my buddy Josh saying to me, dude, why didn't we just drive down to Atlanta? And I just legitimately remember saying to him, dude, there's going to be plenty of chances for us to go. We'll go to the next one. Which, of course, as we know, there has been no next one. Hopefully there will be a next one in my lifetime. I haven't stayed in touch with Josh, though, so I don't know if somebody can track him down for me. We can drive down wherever it ends up being, New Orleans, somewhere like that. We'll drive there together if there ever ends up being another one. But, yeah, my perspective has changed because of that, too. That's what I'm asking, and that's what I want to know from you. At Glenn Clark Radio on Twitter, get your thoughts in today. Um, how has your perspective changed? Do you have greater appreciation, a greater fondness, whatever it might be? How have your thoughts changed about the championship team in the 20 years since Maryland won the national championship? That's what I want to know today at Glenn Clark Radio as they get ready to celebrate the title on uh, Sunday around the Ohio State game. 
at Cole, or sorry, not at Cole Field House, at Xfinity Center. Wishful thinking that that would be an option again. Wishful thinking on my part. Uh, obviously, the national title team was the final year that Maryland played at Cole Field House. All right. You know, it's it's funny because uh, Maryland basketball is one of the few things that uh, folks in Baltimore and folks in D.C. agree to celebrate together, right? We um. There, there are places where we disagree. There, it's one of the few things that we all kind of agree to celebrate together. But this man, this man who's about to join us, our next guest, is absolutely very high on that list. He's a D.C. legend, but we have loved him for a very long time here in Baltimore. And he's coming back to our neck of the woods. Of course, as you know, the CIAA tournament is underway. Uh, moving towards the semifinals tomorrow, there are still tickets available for today, for semifinal day tomorrow, and for championship Saturday. If you go to CIAATournament.org, that's CIAATournament.org. But part of the magic of CIAA week here in Baltimore is all of the parties and all of the events. And tomorrow at Ramshead Live, this man is hosting a huge party. It is a pleasure to welcome into GCR for the first time. DJ Cool, who is with us now. DJ Cool, what's going on, brother? It's Glenn and Paul in Baltimore. It's so great to chat with you, man. Thank you for taking a couple of minutes for us. I'm, I'm uh, currently on the road right now, just uh, moving, just moving around. I, uh, I'm actually the tour host uh, DJ for the uh, for the um, the Culture Tour uh, uh, for New Edition. Oh right now so i'm all over the place but we didn't i didn't come here to speak about them specifically i'm coming here to speak about the CIAA tournament and what's going on with rams head live with my big go-go day party no doubt. rare essence i'm really excited about this so this is tomorrow at rams head live and it's during the day this is for the people that came in that are looking I keep trying to explain to people, DJ Cool, CIAA tournament, it's a basketball tournament, but it's more than that. It's a vibe, right? Like, it's a yes, vibe. It is. it is a week-long party. It is an excuse to take a day off of work tomorrow and come down and hang out and feel good and have fun. And I'm imagining that's what tomorrow is all about for you. Yes, indeed. I mean, I've been a part of CIAA uh, tournament since 2003 when it first came to Charlotte. Actually, I started. I was uh I was included in in the uh, in the situation in 2002, which was the last year that it was at uh, uh what was that Raleigh, North Carolina, and then 2003 it moved to Charlotte, North Carolina. So I've been a part of it since 2003 every year. That's amazing. Oh, my God. That's like a Cal Ripken streak that you got going <laughs> with the CIAA tournament. Yeah, hitting a bunch of home runs in the process. <laughs> right? You know what I mean? So, yeah. Cool. Can you explain for people in in our city that, that haven't felt it yet, that are sort of like, we, we don't know, you know, like we've never been, we, don't, we hear about it, but, like, you know, these aren't our teams. How would you best describe what it's like to be a part of CIAA week now that it's in its first year here in Baltimore? I mean, first of all, it's it's a good time. It's a vibe. You know what I mean? You got a, a big influx of people coming in uh, from other places, you know what I mean, to experience the Baltimore culture, you know, get some good seafood and, and have a good time, man, with, with, with the people of Baltimore. So uh, I would implore anybody from Baltimore that has not had a chance to experience CIAA, you need to come and, you know, you need to come and check it out. It's a good time. 
I, it is. I, I'm so happy that we finally got it in our city, man. I'm, I'm hoping that it stays here for a long time. We know it's definitely going to be back next year with the new building and um, what it does, man, the way it brings people into a city, right? And like what it can do economically. We know parties like this, a big part of it. Yeah, we are just so excited to be the host of the CIAA tournament. Yeah, um, I was about to. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, go, no, go ahead, cool. No, what I was about to say is something that you already, um, that you already hit on, and the fact that it does uh, a good thing, I guess for lack of a better term, for the economy, yeah. for the city, like a lot of dollars coming to the city during CIAA uh, uh, tournament. I mean, I've seen it uh, in Charlotte for many, many years, so, you know. Cool. I can't imagine that there would be quite this many people in Baltimore in a regular February week. Like, it's just not exactly the type of time of year where people are, are piling into the city. So it's awesome to have them. DJ Cool is with us tomorrow at Rams Head Live for his big go-go day party featuring Rare Essence. So, all right, so this is where like the, the, the cultural change between Baltimore and D.C. happens, right? Like, yes. I, I, I do think that there are still somehow people in Baltimore that don't understand. I, you know what? I know this is a fact because we had a, a buddy of mine named Pat Spencer plays for the Capital City Go-Go down in D.C., the G League team. And I, I happened to ask my partner, he's like, do you know why it is they're called the Capital City Go-Go? And I got uh, just a dumbfounded look back. <laughs> there are still people in Baltimore that don't understand the greatness of go-go music, which, of course, we associate with D.C. and Chuck Brown. And, you know, it, it, you, you can't walk uh, a mile in D.C. without being uh, hit in your face with the, the wonder that is go-go music. Can you explain to those of us in the city of Baltimore that still don't get it why it is that go-go music is so important in D.C.? And why it is that maybe we should be more willing to embrace go-go music just a few miles up the street? Well, the reason why it's so important is because that music is a part of our culture. I was born and raised in D.C., in Southeast D.C., to be exact. And uh, I first experienced go-go music back in the, I don't know, probably late 70s, I would say, when, when I first seen Chuck Brown. Yep. And uh, I guess... You know, after that, the rest is history. You know what I mean? <laughs> and Chuck Brown is everything to us. And, and, and I tell people all the time, if you want to, like, know, uh, 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 I don't know, like Chuck Brown's, let's say, for lack of a better term, level of importance to D.C. or what you could compare him to uh, uh, musically, I would say that Chuck Brown is to D.C., what Bob Marley is, you know, is uh, is to reggae. Wow. You know what I mean? Yeah. And to Jamaica. Yeah. I mean, it's very important. I mean, he actually started a, a genre of music. And think about it. If it wasn't for Chuck Brown, you wouldn't have Trouble Funk. You wouldn't have EU. You wouldn't have Red Essence. Junkyard Band, on and on and on. As a matter of fact, you wouldn't even have me in the form that you have me in, which I'm this go-go hip-hop, or I like to say hip-hop, go-go hybrid type thing. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? This, this is what I do, because I'm a part of both cultures. You know what I mean? I completely understand, dude. And you, I mean, like, to me, the word that comes to mind when I think of go-go music, I just think fun, bro. Like, it's just I'm going to have a good time. And um, you know, despite the fact that I am, uh, I, I promise you, I'm as ugly and white as they come. I'm going to, I'm going to move my ass when I go like watch go-go music. You bring up junkyard band. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go. Like, you can't help yourself. It's just the way that it works. Yeah, I mean, when you're talking about live musicianship, you know what I mean? Uh, real heavy on the percussion side of things, which uh, 
the the the, uh, the rhythms of go-go, the percussion rhythms of go-go actually come out of Latin music because Chuck Brown at one point in time uh, was a part of a Latin band. I don't think I even knew that, by the way. I don't think I yeah, knew that. Yeah, his, his, his roots, yeah, he had some roots in Latin music, uh, you know, be, being a member of a Latin band once upon a time. I cannot remember the name of the group right off the top, but uh, that is something that he did in his career. But his, his musical roots are actually based out of jazz and blues. Wow, yeah, you and, know? and you can feel so it. when you yep. hear him doing songs like Moody's Mood yep. and, you know, all of those jazz covers and everything, he just covering those songs, putting the pocket beat over it, and, the, you know, forget about it. It's just like you said, you are bound to move your ass. It's the way it works, bro. You. you can't help it. You can't help it. It doesn't matter if, again, I promise you, as white as I am, I cannot dance, but I'm doing it anyway. It's just the way <laughs> it's going to go. DJ Cool is with us. You can go to ramsheadlive.com right now in order to get tickets for DJ's cool, DJ Cool's big go-go day party featuring Rare Essence tomorrow. It starts at noon. Cool. Um, I was trying to explain, again, because I, I got some younger folks that work around here, and they don't know what a cultural moment, and, and I tried explaining it, it's not really that it was a song as much as it was an experience. I need to know, because you and I have never had a chance to talk about it, how did Let Me Clear My Throat happen? What Was it... Did you write it, or did it just like start coming out of you maybe one night where you were DJing, and all of a sudden you're like, dude, we should record this. Like, how did that it, – it is – nothing has has impacted me in good times in my life the way that that song has. How in the world did it ha- ever occur? Oh, uh, yeah, man. I, 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 I don't know. Maybe the most abbreviated version of uh, how I could explain that is uh, – just something that happened and a night at the club and something got caught in my throat. <laughs> I was trying to speak to the audience. And um, the line, let me clear my throat, is actually a line from an intro uh, of a Beastie Boys record. I yep. think it's the intro to Paul Revere. Mm-hmm. When he says, let me clear my throat, it's the new style. Director of the club, have mercy. Uh, I hope they don't mind. Ain't nothing but a bunch of Chuck Brown stuff, or, or what I like to call Chuck Brown-isms. Just a bunch of spontaneous stuff because the whole moment was spontaneous but to make a long story even more uh, abbreviated uh i have a song called 20 minute workout Uh and uh uh i actually when it was when it was time to record 20 minute workout i actually decided to record i don't know i guess a snippet of my uh, mistake that I made one night at that particular club, which is a place called Ivory's Uptown Lounge. Uh, used to be in Richmond, Virginia. Um, I said, let me just go ahead and put this on the end of it. And uh, it came out. I got a call from a guy in Philly that was on the air at the time at Power 99. His name was Don Mystic Mac. Cool, you need to come up here and see what's going on with this 20-minute workout record because you're bringing Go-Go to Philly. But... They also going off of whatever the hell you're doing over the 900. Now we're talking about let me clear my throat and this and that. So I come up there and had a big radio uh, event at the uh, Core State Center. 16,000 people there. Uh, the DJ that was playing for the intermission uh, was a guy named uh, DJ Rand, who was a very popular DJ in Philadelphia at the time. So he's running through some stuff. And he drops a snippet of what became let me clear my throat. The whole place stood up crazy. So then I'm like, all right, you know how the little light bulb goes off, you know, over your head. I say, well, when I get home, let me make this into a song. So then 
uh, I got a call from my manager, Walt Reader Jr., uh, Big Block Entertainment, which is out of Philadelphia. Cool, I got a show for you up here in Philly, and that was because of what was going on with 20-Minute Workout. So we went, um, I decided to record what became the song, Let Me Clear My Throat, live at a place called Bahama Bay, which right. was, a big, uh, was a big outdoor event that they were having. We had over 5,000 people out there that day. And nobody knew that we were recording. And so uh, I just had, I cued my mix engineer at the count of three. I want everybody in the place to be to make some noise if you can with me. One, two, three. Boom. And, you know, hit me with the horns, 20. And the rest is history, man. And, and God's blessings. You know what I mean? Bro, did, when did you know what was happening? Like, when? obviously, you feel it that night at Bahama Bay. And we, of course, everybody has heard that recording, which is part of what makes us so wild, as I try to explain to people. It, 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 it's a DJ set that was recorded, and it was a, it was a hit song. Like, it's just the, the sentence doesn't make sense to people to try to explain it today that they're young that didn't feel it. When did you know what was going on? Like, when was the moment you got a call from somebody or somebody hit you up or somebody on the street was, like, screaming out, yo, let me clear my... Like, when did you know, oh, my God, this is an actual cultural moment that is occurring right now? Well, I had no idea at all. It was going to turn into a cultural moment, but I did... I did somewhat know that it was about to pop off because, first and foremost, when I heard it on the radio, it was standing out. Uh, ahead of everything else that was being played because yeah. first and foremost it's a live recording yep. people don't do live records anymore they, they definitely don't do live records in hip hop nope you know what I mean and and then it's just the ingredients in the record you're talking about uh, the fact that the music bed of the song was made off of a classic hip hop breakbeat the 900 number produced by Mark 45 King which for a lot of people that are really into hip hop and remember your MTV raps was made uh, more popular by Ed Lover doing his Ed Lover dance uh -huh. to it. So a lot of people, a lot of real hip-hop people could relate to it, but nobody ever took that track or that beat or what have you and tried to make a song out of it, right? And so what I did was just use the basic elements of hip-hop, you know, DJing and MCing or two turntables as a, and a microphone, <laughs> as they used to say back in the day. And, you know, Hip-hop started at the party. Uh, hey. Before it got political and sexual and, and everything else, it started at the party. Wave your hands in the air, wave them like you just don't care. Somebody say, oh, now scream, you know? Yep. And I just took those ingredients, and there you go. And there's let me clear my throat, because I'm from that era. Man, I started DJing in 1977. Shoo. Shoo. I, I'm not. I didn't. I wasn't going to age you, DJ Cool. I want to make that very clear. <laughs> you I wasn't I'll be, planning hey, on look, aging you. I'll be 64 next month. That's unreal. Proud man. of that. That's unreal. Oh my god. I'll be that's 64 unreal. March 20th. Write it down. Yeah. Tell everybody. You ain't slowing I'm down. I'm proud of that. You ain't slowing down. It's crazy. For what? Man. I get. For what? I, get I don't it. have time. <laughs> I, I, I like. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I, I'm not gonna keep you much longer. As I appreciate the time you've given me, Cool. I, I always like to ask, and I ask athletes this all the time, but I want to give it to you. I ask. For a pinch me moment, you you've experienced so many things. You've done so many things. You've worked. You know, you, you talk about the tour that you're on right now. You've worked with so many icons and legends. W what is the greatest moment that you felt where you're like, "Holy f! I cannot believe I'm doing this right now. I'm around these people. I'm I'm this person is a fan of mine." What is your ultimate pinch me moment that you've experienced in your life? 
couple of things. Uh, one of the, uh, two of the, the things uh, that, that that stand out um, is when I got a call from DJ Khaled, who's who's a good friend of mine, uh, uh, believe it or not, um, to open with him for Beyonce in 2016 in Baltimore at M&T Bank Stadium. Oh, right. On. And then again, yeah, then, then I was asked to open again for Beyonce and Jay-Z in 2018 uh, around here at FedEx Field. Oh, that's awesome. God, that's cool. That so, so, cool. so you got those two moments. Then the same night that I opened with Khaled uh, for Beyonce in 2016 at M&T Bank, uh, uh, Bank Stadium, I met Michelle Obama. I introduced myself to her, and she knew exactly who I was. Yo. And said, DJ Cool, I love Let Me Clear My Throat. Now, at that point, I didn't give a damn about doing nothing for Beyonce. <laughs> I, you know what I mean? Because I'm set up here in shock. Yeah. And I'll tell you, the last moment was one time um, in L.A. That had to be, that might have been 2016. Whenever the, uh, the NBA All-Star game was in, was in L.A., um, I was working with a company called Panini, which is a sports yep, uh, memorabilia a card company. And trading cards and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So stuff like that, yeah. So yeah. I, I was doing events. I, I've done events with them. And um, in comes the captain, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Yo. And I took a, I tried. I made an attempt at taking a selfie with him. And um, it turned into a weird moment because it's, I'm 6'1". He's 7'2". <laughs> so I'm like, Okay, <laughs> this is weird, you know what I mean? And, and we took a very awkward-looking picture, but I didn't give a damn because <laughs> I got an opportunity to take that picture with him. You oh, know what I mean? Awesome. Oh, it's so cool, man. That is so Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Holy crap. That's yeah, cool. yeah. That's unbelievable. DJ Cool, man. What what an honor this is. You know, I, I, I promise this is it. You You worked – with Macho Man Randy Savage, and I know people oh, make I another know, moment. <laughs> I, I know people make fun of the Macho Man record, but getting to do that and getting to be a part—this is Macho Man Randy Savage that we're talking about. What mm-hmm. was what was that like? Oh, <laughs> uh, amazing! Because first of all, I, I was a big fan of his already, and I got a call from a buddy of mine. Uh, shout out to um, uh, his name is Khalid as well. Uh, no, I didn't pronounce his name. He pronounces his name Khaled. One of the two. Anyway, he, he like, oh man, you know, I'm producing this album for the Macho Man. I'm like, get out of here. Like, but he's, he was in Tampa. You know what I mean? He's from here, but he was staying in Tampa at the time. So next thing you know, I'm brought to Tampa, Florida. Here comes Macho Man Savage. Hey, DJ, cool. How you doing? I'm like, what? Whoa. We oh, do the man. record. We go on. We go on a promo tour. So I'm flying around in private jets with Randy Macho Savage flying around all across the country. Dude was hilarious, man. May God rest his soul. Oh, oh it's really so did cool. like Hulk Hogan in real life. Right, right. That was legit. That was not a work. Like <laughs> that was very legit, man. He told uh, me the whole thing, but then you know, like right before he passed, like they passed that up. You know what I mean? I'm glad to hear that. I'm glad to yeah, hear that. Yeah, you know, man. but yeah, he told me the whole feel about about this situation with uh with Hulk Hogan. I was like, that's why I made that. He had a song called "Be a Man." 
Be a man, Hulk. Be his diss racket. Yeah. I remember it. I remember it, dude. I'm a nerdy pro wrestling fan, so this stuff. You mm -hmm. are. You are. So me and him did a song called "Hit the Floor," which yep. was actually hot. For real. That's cool, man. Oh, it's so cool. DJ, dude, I could talk to you for hours. I really appreciate <laughs> you taking the time for us, man. I cannot tell you. I mean this. I was a young man. You were the soundtrack to my life at that point, brother. Like, it was every wonderful memory I have has me yelling. Man, I, I pretended like I understood. You don't need no man. I was, like, singing along to every damn word. It meant that much. Tomorrow at Ramshead Live, DJ Cool's Big Go-Go Day Party featuring Rare Essence. Go to ramsheadlive.com to get your tickets as part of the CIAA tournament. Cool, is there anything else I can plug for you? I don't know, man. Like, I got a new single with a video out called Cha Cha Cha. This is a line dance record, so I want everybody to... Uh, go to YouTube and um, check out the video for Cha Cha Cha. Learn to dance, so you know, so we can all get together this summer and Cha Cha Cha. I love it. I love it, DJ. Cool. What? And not? also, yeah. I'm sorry. Also, uh, people need to hurry up and get these tickets so they can see Rare Essence. Man, Rare Essence is probably as classic as it gets when you when you're talking about go go music. No question. You know what I mean? No question. Get there tomorrow. Ramshead Live, ramsheadlive.com. DJ Cool, truly an honor, man. Thank you so much for taking a couple of minutes for us this morning. Enjoy your time here in Baltimore, all right? Thank you so much. DJ Cool, what a – oh, you have no idea. You have no effing idea how surreal it is to me to be talking to DJ Cool after every Saturday night when I was 14, 15 years old, thinking that I understood – thinking that I knew what it was all about. Oh, God. Time of my life. I think I owned eight different records that had a version of Let Me Clear My Throat on them. Ah, such a fan, dude. Such a fan of DJ Cool. That's awesome. I appreciate him taking the time for us this morning here on GCR. And again, get out there tomorrow to Ramshead Live for what is going to be a just a tremendous day and a uh, great week of partying as part of the CIAA tournament. All right. It is a Thursday edition of GCR. Everything good? I always get nervous when the phone call phone rings again. Like something something bad happened. Something went wrong. Somebody's uh, mad was, about something. It was DJ Cole calling back because we had dropped the call. Oh, and okay. So he was All right. calling back <laughs> saying goodbye. All right. Well, that's very nice of him. <clears throat> what a nice what a nice guy. Jeez, what a legend. All right, um, coming up, we are going to chat with uh, Towson's leading scorer, Nick Timberlake. That's coming in just a few minutes. I'm going to get to some of your responses about how your perspective has changed on Maryland's national title run. That is all on the way. It is a Thursday edition of Glenn Clark Radio. It's also brought to you by your local Toyota dealer and buyatoyota.com. Make the most out of every day in a Toyota RAV4 available in hybrid or gas-only models. A RAV4 can get you where you want to go in style. Check out buyatoyota.com for deals on new RAV4s from your local Toyota dealer today. Sports fans, the wait is over. The all-new FanDuel Sportsbook is now open at Live Casino and Hotel in Hanover, Maryland. This is your chance to win big right in your own backyard. Bet on every sport with self-service kiosks and watch all of the action from the best seat in the house. Make every moment more at the all-new FanDuel Sportsbook at Live Casino and Hotel in Hanover. Please play responsibly. Gambling problem? Please call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit mdgambling.com. Help.org. That first sip. That first bite. Mm. 
Start your day off right with a delicious breakfast at Royal Farms. Choose from a fantastic selection of fresh Royal Farms breakfast sandwiches and top it off with a rich hot cup of the freshest coffee in the world. At Royal Farms, breakfast is available day and night. It's the freshest breakfast in the world. Real fresh, real fast. Royal Farms. The newest edition of Press Box is available now. On the cover, we celebrate the 20th anniversary of Maryland men's basketball's 2002 NCAA Tournament Championship. As Gary Williams reflects on how the program rose from the ashes of NCAA sanctions to the pinnacle of the sport, and why his perspective of the title run has changed now two decades later. Plus, Juan Dixon, Lonnie Baxter, and the rest of the team relive the moments that ultimately led them to cutting down the nets in Atlanta. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. And you can always find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. The biggest pro wrestling stars today and all time all have one thing in common. You've heard them on Jobbing Out. Matt and Nick Jackson, the Young Bucks. Thanks for having us, man. Appreciate it. The great Kurt Angle. Thanks for having me on the show. I appreciate it. Matt Riddle. Yeah, man. Thanks, man. The champ, Drew McIntyre. Thank you for having me. The great Ron Simmons. Keith Lee. Appreciate you guys having me, man. Bill Goldberg. My pleasure. Charlotte. Thank you so much for having me. Mick Foley is with us. This is the greatest name for a wrestling show I've ever heard. MJF. I'm glad you're happy I'm on this show because I'm freaking miserable. Le Champion. Chris Jericho. Le Champion. AJ, Aaron, Brandon, and Glenn are talking pro wrestling every week on Jobbing Out. Find it at PressBoxOnline.com slash radio, iTunes, and SoundCloud. Stay tuned. Your chance to win a million dollars is coming up. Probably not from us. You're listening to Glenn Clark Radio. So birthday dinner was ruined is what you're saying. You're saying it I'm was... I'm not going to uh, say it was ruined because I don't want to make her feel bad. But, but, she, what is she, she, you think she's listening today? She listens on her days off sometimes. All right. What's today, her day off? Yeah, she's well, off, she's off till right. Saturday. Women take their whole a whole week off these days for their birthdays. Is that a thing? Really? I, I, I guess. <laughs> like, wait, 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 wait. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Mrs. Clark does not take a day off for her birthday. Really, I appreciate. I didn't know that was a thing. Yeah, is, is uh, it because she's got some uh, like plans to do some some real partying? Like, is there some real? No, uh, they just at least she and her mom. Her mom doesn't take off, but her mom tries to celebrate like the whole month. They're both they both right, have February I mean, birthdays. I respect the hustle. Don't get me wrong. Uh, Laura usually takes a good amount of time off around her birthday. So it was Mrs. Valley's birthday yesterday, is what Paul was trying to say, and um, apparently that the di- dinner didn't happen. That's yeah. We were headed to a restaurant that we had been wanting to go to for months, and it's always jam packed. And we finally and got a reservation. We get she wasn't feeling well. We get into the parking lot. She's like, "Babe, I don't think I can do this." And uh, so we left. I called them, canceled really? the reservation. They luckily they had one for tonight. Well, that's very at nice. the same time. Very so. nice. Well, that's excellent. That's excellent. Look forward to finding out because I have not been either, and I do want to know. Uh, I'm looking uh, looking forward to trying it at some point. All right. Um, it is a Thursday edition of Glenn Clark Radio, and today's show, hello, is also brought to you by Glory Days Grill. Of course, Glory Days Grill has still your like final chance to take advantage of some of the uh, seasonal favorites, the comfort food classics like the house-made meatloaf and the grilled meatloaf sandwich, the smoky thigh wings, very much still available What's better than Glory Days Grill? GloryDaysGrill.com in order to get your order in. Take it home on the way tonight. Uh, yeah, that was a lot of fun. Appreciate you guys uh, uh, giving us the feedback. Um, that was a lot of fun, man, uh, chatting with DJ Cool. Now, back to the topic at hand. Today's think tank question was, how has your perspective changed? 
Uh, Maryland celebrating the 20th anniversary of the title on Sunday. We got the uh, the print issue out right now. How has your perspective changed 20 years later about Maryland basketball's national championship? Uh, Paul and Ovilando, more so than this team, my perspective of college basketball has changed multiple times over decades. As a kid, I watched Len Bias play four years for the Terps. Just 10 years later, Joe Smith only played two. Now with the portal, likely never see elite veteran teams like O2 again, unfortunately. And that's what I was talking about at the top of the show. Now, in fairness, again, you, you point out how much it changed. You know, from Len Bias to Juan, Di- Juan Dixon was there four years. I mean, Lonnie Baxter was there four years. If what you're saying is you're not going to see... You know, someone. The, the assumption is that Len Bias would have gone on to have been an elite NBA player and would have been great and iconic and and perhaps a Hall of Famer and all of those things. And you're not likely to see someone like that stay for four years. Okay, that's it's certainly a different conversation. Yeah, by by the time he got to O two, it was already far less likely that you would see that type of player be a four year college player. You're right about that. By this point, you know, next to zero chance that you're going to see something like that. There's always someone who sort of slips under the radar and, you know, happens to, to percolate and has a nice career despite the fact they played four years of college basketball, but it's extraordinarily rare for that to occur. I wonder how different Juan Dixon's career would have mm-hmm. been playing in today's NBA rather than when he got drafted after 2000. Because you could shoot, 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 yeah. and just be a shooter. I hear you. I hear you. I mean, I don't... He was never going to be Steph Curry necessarily, right. and I still think, like you know, Steph Curry is a point guard. I still think that NBA teams would have been inclined to look at him and say, if you're going to be on the floor at six three, you're going to have to be a point guard. It's just mm-hmm. the way it's going to have to go. We don't the the guys the even at that point, the twos were already bigger. Mm-hmm. Like now, for Christ's sakes, I mean, wings are six eight, six nine. You know, what I mean, like insane. So I think he would have always been forced to switch to point guard in the NBA, but. Would would shooting would the the idea of shooting and shooting and shooting and shooting alone have been enough to keep him around a little bit longer? I, mean, I think part of it you have to recognize he actually had a nice run. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's not as if he was a a complete nothing in the NBA. Um, he had a, a, a nice little run and was on multiple teams and you know could could he have had some more stability? I guess it's possible. I guess it's possible it's there would have been more stability there. But I I still think ultimately it was it, it's still very rare that. A six-three player has great NBA success. Mm-hmm. Still very. And, and let's be fair. Juan wasn't really even six-three. He was six-two. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like he was listed as six-three. He was six-two. Um, it's still rarer to see someone that size have success, right. no matter what their skill set is. And it, it almost requires you being a Steph Curry level shooter. And as we know, there's there's one of those guys. There's other guys who are good. Damian Lillard is a hell of a shooter, and even he. Ain't quite Steph Curry. It's funny that six three in the NBA is considered short. I'm sitting here, yeah, right? I'm at five, my God. seven five no eight. Doubt. I'm like, no give doubt, me a few man. inches. No doubt. Uh, John Little Rock made me appreciate Gary Williams even more as a coach and what the players did for the state. I never thought they would become a college dynasty, but definitely didn't understand how hard it was for them to break through and win it all. At that, I, I think is a great way of looking at it. Honestly, I think it's a tremendous way of looking at it to say. Even if you didn't think, and I, I, when I said I didn't, what I was saying to my buddy and walking out of Cole Fieldhouse that night, when I was saying, hey, we'll go to the next one, I wasn't assuming that they were going to win every year or something along those lines. Certainly we knew that was a veteran team that had built to that moment, right? Like there was no reason to think that with Juan and Lonnie and Chris Wilcox gone the following year, that they were going to be competing for a national championship. I think they did about as much as you could have possibly asked from that team. Drew Nicholas clearly was unbelievable in his senior season. In reaching the Sweet 16, they had to get 
you know, luck in the first round to survive UNC Wilmington uh, with Drew Nicholas hitting the shot that he hit. But I think they did about as much as you could have possibly fathomed they were going to do the following year. But I didn't think it would be 20 years without them sniffing. The only other team that even had a chance to sniff something was Gravis Vasquez's senior season, that, of course, being the team that lost to Michigan State in the second round um, on the buzzer beater from Corey Lucius. If, if, if he misses that shot, Maryland has a great chance of reaching the Final Four again that year. I don't feel like they were going to win the national championship, but they have a chance because that, that bracket had kind of broken a little bit. Um, like I want to say it was a, a one of those weird years where like uh, Northern Iowa um, had pulled off an upset. There were upsets within that region, and things had broken that if Maryland, if Corey Lucius had missed that shot, Maryland was going to have a good chance. Remember, they, they uh, split the ACC title that year of making a run to the Final Four that year, but that's the only other time they even sniffed something like that in 20 years. The 2019-2020 team was really good. They were playing great basketball, but the, the pandemic hit and they canceled they were, the tournament. That, that's, they were not playing good basketball when the season ended. That's part of the the, the revisionist history that, that, that some people tried to have. They were falling apart. They had played really well in December and January and then the start of February, and then they were falling apart as February came to a close. There was no reason to think that they were primed to do something. Now, they could have. Like, it's certainly not. Imp- it's one of the things in having the Mark Turgeon conversation that was always difficult is you could never say with certainty that they wouldn't have put it back together. Mm-hmm. But given the track record of Mark Turgeon teams that never played their best basketball at the end of the season, there was just no reason to think that a team that was already kind of falling apart as the season was unfolding, was suddenly going to put things back together once they got to the Big Ten tournament or on to the NCAA tournament. They, we remember them surviving to earn a share of the Big Ten title by beating Michigan at home, but they had blown multiple opportunities to win the Big Ten title outright in the weeks that led up to that. They were, they were trending in the very much the wrong way at that point in the season. And, again, you can never say it was impossible. You can never say, well, there was no chance. They had lost three of four before that Michigan game. See, they I, were, they were and, and, and like, to Rutgers and an okay Michigan State team at home and an okay Ohio State team. And they needed, remember, the miracle shot from Daryl Morsello to survive at Minnesota during that stretch as well. They were a disaster. See, I just remember the them. Tournament. I just remember watching, thinking, "Wow, this team's actually really good." I didn't recall the three. Of yeah, the but last I mean, the stretch before that, I think they had won something like ten straight. Uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, nine straight before that stretch. I mean, they were mm-hmm. they were in a groove. Um, you know, not not beating like power teams. It was kind of a down, a little bit of a down year. Mm. But they were in a groove. They were playing good basketball. They had a lot of good pieces. Obviously, Jalen Smith was, had come into his own. And so, yeah, I think a lot of people felt really good and, and definitely were portraying this as like the best chance for a Mark Turgeon team to make a run. But by the time we got to the point where the season was canceled, it's it's very much revisionist history that the people like the people that cared about Mark Turgeon tried to paint it as well, that was the team that was ready to do it. Well, what we actually saw does not suggest that at all. It suggests the exact opposite, which was it's better for you that the season ended when it did because they were tracking more like a team that was ready to lose on the first weekend of the season mm-hmm. and be one of the bigger disappointments 
of or the first weekend of the tournament and be one of the bigger disappointments of the Mark Turgeon era because they were playing poorly, poorly. We just happen to remember the Michigan game because it's the day they clinched right. their share of the Big Ten title. And in doing that, we've forgotten about just a, a an awful stretch of a couple weeks that led up to that day where they weren't getting the job done at all. Um, but yeah, you know, like the the fact that they haven't sniffed it is certainly something that has jumped out at me quite a bit. Did I think they were going to be a dynasty? No. But did I think they would be in the conversation? Did I think that they would be at, at the recruiting? There would be more players that would choose to come to Maryland, make Gary Williams' life easier, that the next coach would benefit from that, things along those lines? Yeah, 100%. And we like to do the bit where we pretend like the cupboard was bare when Mark Turgeon arrived and that things have been completely dead. But that Gravis Vasquez team was two years earlier. Two years earlier. There was a down year in between. Gary Williams' final season was a down year. Jordan Williams was the star of that team. But Gravis' final season was just two years earlier. And again, that was a team that won, that split the ACC title and absolutely had a chance to make a Final Four run, if not for that shot from Corey Lucius. So, you know, I, I, I thought there would be more. From Tony. Tony says, I wouldn't say my perspective has necessarily changed, but my appreciation probably has. At the time, it was magical, and I loved it, but I don't think that I knew then exactly what these players and this coach had done. 20 years later, I fully understand it. They shocked the world. College basketball is not built for outsiders, even though we've seen a couple of teams in recent years break through. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, if you want to say Baylor... Like, was an outsider. 100% Baylor was an outsider. Virginia, far less an outsider. They just happened to finally break through to win the title. Um, but Virginia has been a, a power in it for years. I and mean, we think of the Ralph Sampson teams. We think of, I mean, Virginia basketball has been relevant for an eternity. Um, and that way, if you want to say, like, Maryland, it wasn't necessarily a breakthrough. It's just that the title itself was the breakthrough because Maryland had been relevant through the Len bias and, you know, even go back well before that. <laughs> Um, the 1974 days that that Lefty Drizel made Maryland relevant, and then they just finally had to break through and win a title. Yeah, I, I'd listen to that argument, but sure, I think appreciation's a, a fine way of describing it. That you have greater appreciation now than you even did then, because in the moment you were just living in the moment. But 20 years later, you're like, wow, it it really is remarkable what that team did. And I think that's similar to what Chris said. Chris said, um, Glenn, thinking back on it in the moment. All of the opponents during the tournament were just the next opponent that Maryland was going to face. I think it took me five years to really reflect on the fact that they had no breaks go their way whatsoever, and yet they still made that run. Think back on the list of teams they beat, Wisconsin, Kentucky, Yukon, Kansas, and Indiana, in order to win a title. There was no second-round freebie. There was no... I don't know what you're trying to... There was no... Dis- Disappointment. I guess I get what you're trying to say, though, Chris. I do understand what you're saying, which is somebody would say Indiana. I mean, I think Indiana was like a five seed that year that happened to make a a run to the national title. Remember, Duke lost to USC in the Sweet 16 of that tournament. And, you know, everybody kind of thought that Duke and Kansas were the biggest threats to win the national championship that year. So if you want to say the title game, they maybe got a, a bit of a gift in that Indiana. That Indiana team did make the run, but they weren't, um, that wasn't a classic Indiana team. That was an Indiana team coached by Mike Davis that just so happened to make kind of a, a wild run in the NCAA tournament. But outside of that, yeah, you're right. There was no 
you know, Eastern Michigan or there was no sort of crazy upset in another round that gave them the benefit of getting to face a 12 seed in the third round or something along those lines or the benefit of getting to face a 10 seed in the Elite Eight. There was none of that that had occurred during the course of their run. They really did have to beat really good teams in order to get there. Continue to get me your responses at Glenn Clark Radio on Twitter. We're talking about how your perspective has changed over 20 years since Maryland basketball won their 2002 title as they get ready to celebrate it uh, down in College Park. I'll tell you, for me, yes, it was watching in 2001 where they're, they're playing really good basketball, mm-hmm. and then they get to that game against Duke where they have an eight-point lead with under a minute to go, and Jason Williams scores like 10 straight points, and they, lo- they lose that basketball we, game. We don't talk about that. Uh, yeah. start, started the f- like a really terrible five-game stretch. They and, it was, finally, and it was a 10-point lead, yeah. which makes it even worse. They, well, they, they finally put it back together. They get to the Final Four. They're up on Duke by 22 mm-hmm. at one point, end up losing by 11. You felt like you knew that team was coming back the next year, and like the whole next season is the revenge tour and that's what it ended up being they come back and they beat duke in the regular season they get to the final four again they, and they win that they get to the to the ncaa championship and now it's looking back on saying that's never going to happen again to your point you're never going to see a team yeah, make, come back like right that. make a run it, you know maybe that's a little unfair because we have seen like players at gonzaga stay for a little bit longer but it's it's the idea of multiple you know all conference players sticking around and Losing and then coming back in order to, yeah, that's that's not going to happen. You're right about that. You're right. And that's sort of what I was alluding to earlier. Um, you know, I, I, a couple of people have brought up, you know, uh, uh, Paul, regarding the rosters for the 01 and 02 teams, I've always been curious to Billy Hahn do most of the identification recruiting of those players. I don't know how much Patsos, Dickerson, or other coaches might have been involved. Um, Billy Hahn did a lot of it. There's no question about that. He did a lot of it. Remember, Mark Amatucci basically handed Juan Dixon to Maryland, so that's a unique one in that way. Um, but Billy Hahn definitely was the was chief among that group at that time. Jimmy Patso certainly made his teeth getting into recruiting um, as a younger assistant at that point, but it was largely Billy Hahn who was most responsible um, for what you saw, the, the, the recruiting success or the, the fines, I guess you would say, that Maryland had on that team. We come back in. We're going to talk uh, some more college basketball. Nick Timberlake is the leading scorer for Towson. They got another big win last night. They are very much tracking to have a chance to reach the NCAA tournament. Oh, you know what? Maybe we can't take a break. We'll talk to him right now. They're tracking to reach the NCAA tournament for the first time in 30-plus years. Today's show is also brought to you by Live Casino and Hotel. The FanDuel Sportsbook is now open at Live Casino and Hotel in Hanover, Maryland. And it is the best place to watch and bet on all of the games. 51 self-service kiosks. Love Live Casino and Hotel and the FanDuel Sportsbook. You'll want to get down there. As I was saying, our next guest is the leading scorer for Towson. They did get a big win over Madison last night. They got to go to Madison now and then wrap up the regular season uh, by making up the second half of the Delaware game. But they are very much tracking for a shot at least at the regular season title in the CAA, and who knows what more could be happening. It's a pleasure to welcome into the program Nick Timberlake, who's with us on GCR. Nick, it's Glenn and uh, Paul. It's great to chat with you. Thank you so much for taking a couple of minutes for us this morning. No problem. Everything is good, man. It's good to talk to you. It's good to get to know you. Nick, I, I want you to take me back a few years because I was reading about you you were leaving high school, and you had no D1 offers at that point. Tell me about yeah. 
how it all happened that you ended up at Towson and how we've gotten to this point where you're the leading scorer for a team that's got a great chance at going to the NCAA tournament. And, uh, it's crazy. It's uh, a pretty good story. Um, I mean, I didn't have a, a D2 offer coming out of high school. Uh, I didn't get my first offer until the summer after I graduated. And that's when D2 started looking at me. And I was like, uh, I'd rather go prep school and just bet on myself and uh, see what happens. Um, offers started rolling in uh, during the fall. It's like open gyms and stuff, playing pickup with the guys up in Little Meriden, New Hampshire. I think it was like 300 people. Uh, a a recruiting hotbed, of course. Everybody knows that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Never heard of it. Most people, even in New Hampshire, they don't know where it's at. <laughs> but, uh, no, during the season, that got started, and I just started putting up pretty impressive numbers. I was getting coaches left and right. Uh, but Coach Curry and Coach Clark didn't come up to campus or New England until playoffs. And we made the playoffs up at KUA for the first time in like four or five years, something like that. And we were playing Tilton. They had, I think, two pros right now. We lost by 45 and Scurry offered me. Wow. I was like, he saw something. <laughs> so, but maybe maybe uh, uh, it helps with the taste in your mouth after you lose a game by 45 points, right? <laughs> like, yeah, no, it was, it was pretty crazy because, I mean, the gym was packed with just, like, students. And then there was just a whole section of college coaches. And uh, Scurry came right up to me right after. Uh, started talking to me and offered me on the spot. And... Um, then we did a in-home visit a couple of days later. He came all the way up from Maryland again. I think he just stayed in the area. I went back home, and he just sat uh, me and my family down in the kitchen, just talking, just what he sees in me, what to expect, stuff like that. And then one of my visits, uh, and committed May fourth to. I haven't looked back since. You know, it, did it help at all? And and we yours is maybe not quite as pronounced, but did it help at all that you guys largely shared the same accent uh, when you were have, getting to know each other? Uh, I mean, being from Boston probably helps because uh, <laughs> one of his good friends is from uh, or lives in Braintree now. So like, I see him all the time, and I think he was just whispering in his ear the whole time, like, "Yo, you gotta check him out." My dad coached with Coach Clark at GW. So, oh, that's cool. Yeah. I mean, I have five ties to Towson, which I didn't even know until I came here. That's wild, man. Oh, well, and, and look at how things have turned out. Nick Timberlake is with us. Um, Nick, this team, you know, you've been through a lot, right? Like, this is your fourth year now at Towson, and, and things have not always gone swimmingly uh, since you arrived. How did this happen that this group of guys, transfers coming in, couple of guys like you that have been in the program for a year, few years. How did this happen that this group of guys has gelled the way it has and, and, and in the way that on any given night it could be any of you? There's, there's nobody that's forcing the issue. Like, that, that it's just the way that this team has become such a unit. How did that occur? Yeah, it's crazy, honestly. Uh, I mean, just from last year, seeing how just – I mean, it was a weird year last year, but having Gibby, Charles, and Jawan come back, uh, and me, I mean, we knew we had a good core group right there. Juan went down last year with the tour Achilles, so we knew who, he was going to come back stronger. Uh, and then just the transfers you came in have just been incredible. Uh, Cam Holden, Terry, yeah. Chase, Tone, all of them. Um, 
I mean, I knew Terry. We played him when he was at GW. Uh, I knew Tone from AAU, so I knew they were both solid players, and I just knew Chase was the big body. So once I came back in the summertime, I came back in, like, July, and they were already practicing everything, and just the, the guys who have been here were just like, just, just wait till you get here. Like, we are going to be something this year. And it was only took a couple of weeks where I was like, yeah, we're going to be really good. It seemed like you guys were aware that there weren't a lot of expectations for you before the season began. I've seen a I've seen a few guys tweet out during the year reminder of uh, just how close to the bottom you guys were picked in the uh, preseason CAA poll. Did did you guys use that as motivation coming into the season? Did you guys use that like or was, was there a was there a quiet confidence that you knew how wrong everyone was? I think it's a little bit of both. Um, I mean, I've always been a proven wrong type of guy. So uh, just knowing that they picked us eighth, I mean, there's no real expectation for us. Such a new team, only four guys coming back. I mean, I understand why we got picked there. But just to have the season we're having, is just it's awesome to just shove it back in everyone's face, tell them how wrong everyone was. I mean, they were clearly quite off. <laughs> they couldn't have yeah, been for I'd say just a little bit. Just a little bit off about this team. <laughs> you guys are up 17 last night against Madison. They uh-huh. they fight back, get within three. A lot of teams, there's burden of expectations. You're dealing with a lot of things. A lot of teams crumble. Take me into that last night, early in the second half, what the conversation was like, who was saying what. Maybe nobody's saying anything. Why does this team not blink when you guys are getting punched back in a situation like that? It's... Yeah, it was pretty funny. Uh, I mean, like you said, Actually, no one really said anything. We just kind of let Scary talk, and it was the six older guys in the game. We just kind of all looked at each other, or the six guys who were playing at the time. Uh, we just kind of looked at each other and was like, we know what to do. Like, we're not going to fold. We're a very mature group. Um, and we let Scary talk, just draw plays, and we executed, held them uh, defensively in the last, like, seven minutes. I think they scored six points on the Yeah, that's correct. So, yeah. Just like not folding and staying ten toes down is what we've been doing all year. Uh and just to do that again and go up twenty real quick, it's it's crazy. Is it is it just a trust thing? Like did you guys not feel anything at all in that moment? Like when they're when they're making that run and making a game again, do do you like is it just completely even keel because you have that type of faith in each other? I'd say so. I say we have like trust in everyone, uh, really do anything. I mean, we were beating ourselves up, but they were also hitting tough shots. So we knew as soon as we like calmed down again, we were gonna get things going, and we did. Yeah, it turns out you were right about that. <laughs> it turns <laughs> yeah. out you were totally right. Uh, I don't want to look past you know because you guys had to turn around and play Madison again, and that's probably tricky, right? To like play it. You know, y- y- this doesn't really normally happen this way that you play a team twice. In such a short amount of time, it's extraordinarily rare that the circumstances would play out. But I, I'm really interested in how you prepare for this scenario that you're faced with on Monday because this this ends up being probably a pretty important game for you guys and trying to get that top seed in the tournament. Like, how do you prepare for a scenario where where it's literally like you're starting the game at at nine zero? Like, how do you get ready for something like that? Yeah, I mean, first we got to win Saturday, of course. But, right. Uh, <laughs> It's crazy. I don't think anyone's ever gone through uh, playing 18 minutes down nine. I, we keep saying it's like a, a video game challenge where 
you're entering the spot and you just got to come back from nine points down. Okay. So, I mean, we take it as a as a normal game, I guess, and we're down nine nothing. I mean, I guess it's as simple as that. <laughs> I guess it's that. And again, if you guys are that even keel, you probably handle it quite easily, I guess. But man, it is a unique spot. Um, tell me, yeah, tell me about the dunk against Wilmington. Obviously, everybody was having fun that night, and you guys are up big. <laughs> you get the ball on the open floor. What's going through your mind about what you're going to do when you get to the baskets? I, uh, I mean, it was basically just try to rip the rim down. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, me and Tim were talking because obviously they were celebrating big when they won here, so we wanted to. Uh, put an exclamation point on a win if we if we can get it and i mean the game was over pretty quick in yeah. the second half uh so it just happened to be gibby stole the ball and i just sprinted i knew he was gonna find me i just went in and just tried to rip the room down i mean you damn near did by the way <laughs> holding on i mean there was there was a lot of authority in that particular dunk and i could certainly feel uh, that you guys were enjoying yourselves after a massive win like that. Um, yeah, we definitely were. Nick Timberlake, just another couple minutes here on GCR. Nick, you probably more than, you know, I, I, we talked to some of the other guys. I was talking to Terry last week. Because you've been around a little bit longer, you probably have a little bit more of a, of a concept of what this drought means to the Towson community, the fact that it's been over 30 years since there's been an NCAA tournament appearance. And to your point, I get it. you got another game to worry about on Saturday, and you you got to keep things in perspective. But do you guys talk about that all? Are you aware of it? And how significant would it be to you because you've been around longer to be a part of the team that ends that drought and gets Towson back into the NCAA tournament? Yeah, I mean, everyone says it every year. That's the goal. Um, I mean, my sophomore year, we were really confident in it. And then, obviously, leveling go against Northeastern. But, I mean, this year, is, it's we we want to make history, be part of uh, be a part of history here at Towson, uh, be remembered forever. So if we can make it that far, it'd be awesome. I mean, obviously, it would the community. I mean, the, the atmospheres are clearly picked up, right? Like there've been some pretty yeah, electric that, atmospheres in the last couple of games. Yeah, I mean, it was packed last night. Uh, it's been loud the majority of our home games, so it's awesome just having that home court advantage. No doubt, man. No doubt. All right, uh, so let's let's get to know you, Nick Timberlake, a little bit more. You're uh, you're a Will Ferrell guy. Give me uh, rank top three, top three Will Ferrell movies ever. Uh, ever. I'm gonna have to go. Other guys, number one. That's my. Favorite. Wow, what a random choice at number one. Other guys, random. holy smokes! I mean, is it because he he shot Derek Jeter as a Boston guy? Is that part of the reason why <laughs> other guys is number one on your list? Mark Wahlberg shot him, but no, <laughs> the other guys just been my favorite movie for a long time. Wow! Wow! Um, all right. Yeah, I'll go two uh, Talladega Nights. Okay, I mean, you can do no wrong. No, and then. Three's gotta be Elf. <laughs> I see the only thing that I that I'm stunned that you would leave Step Brothers out of your top three. Like I'm just stunned uh, yeah. by that the fact that Step Brothers wouldn't crack the top three of Will Ferrell movies. I know he has a lot. 
I mean, I it is difficult. You're right. It is difficult to limit it to three. The man is a genius. Like, I understand exactly. Like, somebody would say, by the way, old school is not even on that list. I'd be like, holy crap, you're right. Right? <laughs> like, uh, my no. God, what a run. <laughs> Gotta get a lot of looks saying other guys. That's for sure. No doubt. That's why I jumped out. I'm like, holy crap. And not to say it isn't a good <laughs> flick. Like, I'm with you that it's a good flick, right? Like, yeah. he's. He's a biracial angel. I think about it all the time. Um, but like, man, like the upper echelon of Will Ferrell films. I was just, I was thrown off by it. Uh, a Friday night in Nick Timberlake's life outside of basketball season. What, what does your life look like? Uh, just hanging with friends. Okay, all right. Anything doing? I mean, are you yeah. a gamer or anything like that? I'm not really big into video games. Uh, I don't know. I just can't get myself just to sit down and play them continuously. You see, uh, I- more of like TV. Okay, give me something you're watching. Give me something that we all should be binging right now. Uh, well, obviously, Ozark. You gotta watch that. I mean, dude, yeah, I got, I am, I am, I am so mad that they broke up the final season into two parts. Like, I'm furious about it, it because <laughs> I just want it now. Like, I've now that now that it's it's I'm used to it this way. I can't wait any longer. April 29th, the yeah, second part comes Netflix. out. Netflix, Netflix doesn't do that. Right? Like, what the hell, man? <laughs> like, I'm used to. I, I've been watching like the Pam and Tommy show on Hulu, so I've been like used to getting an episode every week, you know. But like, okay. man, I want all of it. I want all of it once. I don't want to have to sit on it and remind myself of yeah. what happened months later. This, of course, Ozark's a good answer. Give me one more, then we'll let you go. Um, a little bit older, but uh, not older. It came out this year. Uh, Money Heist. I don't know it. What's Money Heist? It's a. Uh, this big group goes into uh, a Spanish bank and robs it from the inside and just, like, takes everyone hostage. Uh, the army comes into play. It, wow. It's a crazy movie. Okay. It's I'll one li- of those Spanish to uh, English um, shows. All right. I'll listen. I'll listen. I am willing to, to give it a shot. Money heist is that's the call. Nick J. Timberlake yep. on Twitter. What about on Instagram? Where can Towson fans be giving you a follow, Nick? Uh, N Timberlake twenty five at N Timberlake twenty five. Dude, congratulations on everything so far, and uh, best of luck as uh, the season continues. And may we be talking about uh, magical things that you guys do down the stretch here. Thank you so much for taking a couple of minutes for us this morning. Thank you for having me, Nick Timberlake, uh, Towson University's leading scorer. They got another big win last night over Madison. They got to turn around and go down to Madison uh, for the final road game of the regular season. And then they got the Delaware thing on Monday to wrap up the regular season. It has been uh, really wild. Just a really wild, incredible year for Towson basketball. Season's flown by. Like, absolutely flown by. You know, part of the problem, and I've talked about this before, part of the problem college basketball has is that the nat- on the national level, the consciousness doesn't really start turning to college basketball until football season ends. Mm-hmm. And it's different in every market, right? Like, it's it's really when your season ends, you start paying attention to these other things. So when the Ravens were eliminated, you know, you would have been more inclined to start paying attention to college basketball. But from a national perspective, it's not until after the Super Bowl. Well, the Super Bowl was the latest it's ever been this season. Right, so, right. Like, here is the Super Bowl just two weeks ago, and now the college basketball regular season is ending. Mm-hmm. So they just haven't had the same amount of time to capitalize on the national consciousness because the Super Bowl was moved back and, and probably going to be moved back again whenever they go to 18 games and line it up with President's Day weekend. So the argument we will, why don't you move college basketball season back, right? Like, there's no, no need to have to start it as early in November as, as it starts. And I get that, the problem being, like, 
we just associate college basketball with March. Right. Like that's, March Madness. That's yeah. the part that that's important. That's the part that matters. So I I just think it's extraordinarily unlikely that they'll try to change that calendar whatsoever. All right. Um, today's show, Plain Clark Radio, also brought to you uh, by the Stan the Fan Variety Hour. And uh, Stan caught up with Al Hutchinson last night, the president and CEO of Visit Baltimore. If you missed it, you can find it right now, facebook.com slash pressboxsports. Click on the videos tab or go to pressboxonline.com slash video. Of course, Mike Torres joined Stan and Ross earlier in the week. All of those shows, and I believe uh, Stan and Gary have another show tonight. I want to say Don Marcus is the guest. All of those shows available. Uh, go to pressboxonline.com slash video. When we come back in, we'll switch gears, talk some baseball. Kevin Goldstein from Fangraphs, of course, former uh, part of the Astros front office. We'll talk to him about their top 100 prospects. Grayson Rodriguez, number three on the list. And we'll talk to him about uh, what the Orioles are doing as a whole as they try, try to follow that Astros blueprint. That's next. It's Glenn Clark Radio. Sports fans, the wait is over. The all-new FanDuel Sportsbook is now open at Live Casino and Hotel in Hanover, Maryland. This is your chance to win big right in your own backyard. Bet on every sport with self-service kiosks and watch all of the action from the best seat in the house. Make every moment more at the all-new FanDuel Sportsbook at Live Casino and Hotel in Hanover. Please play responsibly. Gambling problem? Please call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit mdgambling.com help.org that first sip that first bite mm. start your day off right with a delicious breakfast at royal farms choose from a fantastic selection of fresh royal farms breakfast sandwiches and top it off with a rich hot cup of the freshest coffee in the world at royal farms breakfast is available day and night it's the freshest breakfast in the world real fresh real fast royal farms after being virtual in 2021, the CIAA Men's and Women's Basketball Tournament is headed to Charm City this February 22nd through 26th. The CIAA is an event that has become a celebration of family, culture, and accomplishments that uplift and strengthen the African-American community. See the excitement in person as some of the best college basketball in the country comes to Baltimore's Royal Farms Arena with the CIAA Men's and Women's Conference Tournament. Get your tickets now at CIAA. CIAATournament.org. That's CIAATournament.org. The newest edition of Press Box is available now. On the cover, we celebrate the 20th anniversary of Maryland men's basketball's 2002 NCAA Tournament Championship. As Gary Williams reflects on how the program rose from the ashes of NCAA sanctions to the pinnacle of the sport, and why his perspective of the title run has changed now two decades later. Plus, Juan Dixon, Lonnie Baxter, and the rest of the team relive the moments that ultimately led them to cutting down the nets in Atlanta. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. And you can always find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. The Toyota Tacoma comes in a wide range of models and trim lines. You can choose the perfect Toyota to reflect your unique personality and driving habits. Check out BuyAToyota.com for deals on new Tacomas from your local Toyota dealer today. If you miss anything, don't forget that you can find whole shows later on Spotify, Apple, or Amazon Podcast. It's Glenn Clark Radio. 
All right, back in here on GCR as we continue on our number two of the program. Still to come, our weekly NFL draft segment. Ken Zalis is going to check in. It's been a couple of weeks, so we will get some thoughts from him on what matters going into the combine next week out in Indianapolis. That is still to come on today's program. From Dave. Dave says, Glenn, appreciate all the coverage you've been giving Towson basketball this season. My son and I got out to the game last night. It was absolutely electric. I feel like, well, unfortunately, Dave, there's no more There's no more opportunities to do that unless you had a ticket to the Delaware game and you can go to the second half of the game on Monday night. Um, but, yeah, I appreciate you trying to encourage everybody to go out and get to a game. Unfortunately, they run out of time. Um, that was the last scheduled home game of the year. I guess if Towson participates in one of those other tournaments, if they fall short of the NCAA tournament, there could end up being... Uh, home games, but the CAA tournament, that's what I guess, that that's what I would enco- mer- most encourage. It won't be the same as a home atmosphere, but it's just down the street. The CAA tournament is in D.C. at the uh, G League Arena, at the, uh, I believe it's called the Entertainment Sports Arena uh, in D.C. So getting down there for that would be a great way to uh, embrace Towson basketball and support them just down the road as they try to make a run to the NCAA tournament. So I would encourage you to do that. This week, uh, Fangraphs released their top 100 prospects, and they are quite bullish. I mean, everybody is bullish about Grayson Rodriguez, but I think this is the most bullish that we've seen uh, anyone about Grayson Rodriguez, as he was number three on their list. Obviously, Adley Rutschman, number one. But, you know, that's that's kind of a given, it feels like, anymore. Joining us now, a man who um, spent a lot of time in the Astros front office, and so he's been giving us great perspective about what the Orioles are trying to do and replicate them. And uh, we'll talk to him, of course, about the top 100 list. He is Fangraph's Kevin Goldstein, and he's back with us now here on GCR. Kevin, it's Glenn and Paul in Baltimore. It's great to chat with you as always. Thank you for taking a couple of minutes for us this morning. Morning, guys. How are you? I'm great. It's great to catch up with you. Um, I, I this thing with Grayson Rodriguez, I don't want to say I'm blown away because I think we all know that Grayson Rodriguez is thought of as the top, if not one of the top pitching prospects in all of baseball. But I've heard arguments, right, and I'll present them to you. I've heard arguments from people that we haven't seen Grayson Rodriguez work deep enough into games yet to know how he handles that. Why is that something that your team maybe is not quite as concerned about when it comes to Grayson Rodriguez? Well, I'm not going to say we're not concerned about it. I think we are concerned about it, but the way we as an industry bring up pitching prospects, I don't know which pitching prospects has answered that question That's for fair. you, if, if that makes sense. like yeah. I don't, There's no pitching prospect going deep into games who can prove and he can you know, take the bump 32 times and go 180 innings. Like, that guy doesn't, isn't out there. And so, you know, whatever you're discounting pitchers for that, you have to apply that discount across the board because, you know, you're talking about a unicorn. And, you know, we talk to people throughout the game, scouts, analysts, uh, executives, uh, everybody. We, 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 we bounce this list off of maybe nearly 100 people in the industry when, when we do this. And, um you know, when you talk to people who have access to things we don't, uh, which is the pitch data from the minor league, uh, Grayson Rodriguez's pure stuff is there's just no contest, to be honest with you, between him and the other pitching prospects in baseball. It is absolutely dominating stuff. You're talking about a guy who has four plus pitches, and some uh, some teams have multiple seven grades on on his arsenal. This is overwhelming stuff. Wow. And, and at the end of the day, 
that's what made us so comfortable putting in the time to work. Is there any way to get a sense for if someone's stuff is so good that like the, the idea of what happens the third time through an order, like it, that conversation just doesn't matter. And, and, I, and I'm separating this from other prospects, but just looking at Grayson himself, it, it, is, this, is there a point at which the stuff is so good, what are we talking about what happens the third time through the rotation? It's a really good question. And you know, there's a couple of things, and this, is, this goes back to the unanswered thing about every pitching prospect, which is what does it look like in the seventh inning? We don't know that too well with Grayson Rodriguez because we haven't seen him in the seventh inning yet. And so, you know, there might be a bit of a downtick. He might lose his command a little bit. And so we, those, are, those are unanswered questions. You know, I'm always of the belief that at any point in, in baseball, there is always it's a single-digit number. Somewhere between five to ten guys where you don't care about what you just said, where you just don't care about the, the third time through the order. You don't care about the fact that his pitch count's gotten up to 103. You know, there's always about five to ten guys. And, you know, the, the Garrett Coles of the world, the Max Scherzers of the world, um, Justin Verlander used to be one of those guys. There's always a few of those guys. And it's really hard, if not impossible, to say who those guys are going to be when they're prospects because of what we just talked about. They just haven't, you know, we just don't have enough data for them even trying to do it. I I, t- I completely understand that. How how close is like the assumption is if there's a baseball season, uh, Kevin, and I hate the fact that we're using that term, but it is what it is. Um, the assumption that we've got here is that if Adley Rutschman isn't up on day one, he's up you know very shortly when the service time thing isn't a factor. H- how close do we think Rodriguez is at this point that like there's nothing left for him to prove? He just should be at the major league level, you know. Th- th- be damned what it is that the Orioles' plan is necessarily. There's no reason for him to continue to be there. Yeah, I mean, obviously in a perfect world, we'd have a CBA in a baseball season, but more importantly, we'd have a CBA that has a rule set that encourages teams to put their best product on the field. Right. You know, that's the... So a lot of it kind of depends on what the CBA looks like as far as when we're going to see Grayson Rodriguez. You know, he's one of those guys where, you know, he could pitch in the big leagues right now, and on the right day, just outstuffed guys if that makes sense um you know and that's the thing like you could just show up and just kind of outstuff you there are still some some things to be done and and this goes back to you're trying to to help him become the guy we were talking about earlier about things like pitch efficiency um and and sequencing and and kind of harnessing the stuff a little better there's certainly some work to be done there's some 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 things in the margin some work around the edges if they needed him, they could count on him, but I think they're going to give him a little bit of time to, to handle those things. So, you know, when you're watching the Orioles game next year, you're not saying, hey, we're in the fifth inning, Grayson Regis is throwing 92 pitches. You're saying that in the sixth or the seventh. Right, and right. so, you know, that's what you're hoping to do right now is, is you know, the stuff is there, and now it's time to, to really kind of harness it and, and polish it and turn him into a pitcher. He is Kevin Goldstein. He's with us here on GCR. Kevin, I'm gonna give you the same question I've been giving everybody, and 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 I look, we we everybody knows what Adley Rutschman is. What what amount of risk is left at this point? We, you know, you have to understand in Baltimore there is still this like Matt Weeters residue, where Matt Weeters was a really good baseball player, but yet is treated as a bust because he was supposed to be the Messiah, right? It the way that this rebuild has gone for the Orioles, it seems like there is very little wiggle room for how they could get there if Adley Rutschman doesn't become a true transcendent superstar, right? Like, he could become a, a quality Major League Baseball player, 
but yet the Orioles as a whole might still be in trouble because there's just not a lot there for a roadmap to making this happen if he's not this transcendent star. How much what how certain is it that he really is that guy and it's just a matter of time before we get to see it in the major leagues? It's very uncertain. He's a prospect. Yeah. Um, you know, and that's the reality of it. I I I'll be honest with you guys, I disagree with the just the presumption in the question in the sense that if Adley Russian's not a, not a superstar of the Orioles, boy, their their whole process is just a mess now. Um, if he's a good player, they could still do this, you know, and, and you know, if this guy's a three or four win player instead of a six or seven win player, they gotta find three wins somewhere. That's a lot. But it doesn't, you know, say that the you know, the rebuild is not a failure if Adley Rushman does not turn into, you know, a face of the franchise player. I think that's I, I, way too much pressure on, on I, I, one player. I, on I agree player. with that. I guess maybe what I'm saying is it becomes more difficult at that point, right? Like, to your point, you, you have to find that somewhere else, and there's no obvious in-house candidate for the guy that we say, was well, here's how you're going to make up for it. Of course, you know, we didn't think Cedric Mullins was going to be the guy that he turned out to be a year ago either. Right. you got to find a lot of players. And, and you know, I think the, 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 you know, a perfect example in, in the last decade is Mike Trout. Mike Trout's been the best player in baseball for nearly a decade now, often being – you know, an eight, nine, or ten win player, and it's not enough to get the Angels into the playoffs. Right. You know, there's, there's, there's no baseball is a very different game than, than say, you know, the NBA. Like one guy cannot be your savior; a team has to be your savior. And so, you know, I think Adler would be very good, and he might be that franchise superstar. But you know, anyone saying any, even when you're the number one prospect in baseball, saying that chances are more than fifty percent, he becomes this kind of, you know, face of the franchise, consistent year-over-year MVP candidate is wrong. Like, that's just not how it works. You know, prospects fail at a, at a remarkable at a remarkable rate. You, you can't just go down a prospect list and go, well, I'll tell you right now, like when we got Rushman catching and we got D.L. Hall and Grace Rodriguez pitching and we got Colton, you know, Colton Kowser and then Hedison Kierdad and Kyle Stowers in the outfield, you can't do it that way. Right. Because some of these guys are just going to fall off and, you know, I do think one thing the Orioles have done a really good job is creating depth. Like as far as like just going down the whole system, not just number one, but number twenty-one. I think Scott's got a good chance to be a big leader. You know, and and, and I think that's something that they're they're really good at. They're they, they draft very well with that kind of thing in mind. You know, and and so you know, in terms of creating the kind of depth they need, that I have more confidence in than. You know, any prospect becoming kind of you know a, a mind bending superstar. Hey, Kevin, it's Paul, and you were you brought up DL Hall as being a part of the Orioles rotation briefly there. Um, this is his fifth year in the organization. I get that he was drafted out of high school, but he's never thrown more than 90, 91 innings in a season. Last year, he only got seven starts before he had the stress reaction in his elbow. He's finally back on a mound. Is this kind of like, I wouldn't say a make-or-break year because he's still so young, but is this a big year for him to prove that he can be a rotation guy, or do you see him ultimately ending up in the back end of a bullpen? Yeah, I, I think the last part of your question is the real thing. When like, you know, make-or-break for his future, no. Make-or-break for his future role, maybe. You know, And then I think that's maybe where we're at. Is like, you know, it's starting so hard to start. And you know, when you have a guy with, with D.O. Hall's stuff, which is just tremendous, really, really good stuff, um, you try to make that a starter for as long as possible, right? Uh, but at some point, players scream at you, I can't do this, you know, and, and it happens all the time. And, and, and there's a chance that D.L. Hall is starting to say that, but I, you know, I'm not ready to say, oh, he's a slam dunk reliever. He's definitely, you know, the injuries industry term is reliever risk. 
And D.L. Hall has a very high reliever risk. Chances are probably greater than 50%. Mm. So this guy ends up a, a bullpen arm, and, and then maybe um, you know we can utilize him right and make him a, a multi-inning bullpen arm, you know, a, a real weapon. But you know whether he can start or not is still very, very much in the air. And I think they'll definitely give it another shot again this year. But if you know something goes down in terms of an inability to pitch or uh, inability to get even five innings, then you start to say, hey, maybe this guy's just telling us we should use him in shorter steps. Kevin Goldstein from Fangraphs with us here on GCR. Kevin, I want to transition from that to a. You brought up the depth that they've built up. Are are you as confident about that when it comes to the pitching? Like, obviously, they've been taking a lot of bats early in draft. That's what they've been doing, right? College bats. That's that's been the concept. Are you as confident that there is enough pitching there that if things start working out with Rutschman and and Rodriguez, that they can put together a championship caliber rotation in the next three to five years? You know, the, the, the counter to that is, will they be allowed to spend money to do so? Right. Um, you know, no team can do that completely from their own system. That's a, that would be an incredible achievement. There are guys below Rodriguez and Hall. Uh, you know, Kyle Bradish definitely comes to mind as a guy who I think could be a big league starter. Uh, you know, there are, and there's more than that in terms of, you know, depth pieces. There's some nice younger arms in the system, guys who are, you know, we're not going to hear about knocking on the door of Baltimore and Hampton, like Carter Baumler, who I like quite a bit. But, you know, no team does that. And, you know, that's the, the one kind of open question that we will figure out. You know, I just, you know, it's, it's a very understandable thing to kind of, you know, kind of try to mirror what's happening in Baltimore with what happened with Houston just because it's yep. the same people in charge, of right? Course. And of course. The one thing that I know happened was that the owner said, hey, when you guys need to spend money, I'll let you spend money. And that happened. Yep. And, you know, I don't know. What, what Michael Eisen company has been told by Baltimore's ownership. But at some point, every team needs to spend money. No one can create a championship with, from within. You can create a heck of a core, but at some point you need to, you need to fill in the boxes. You need to fill in the slots. And you need to do that through trades and free agency. And, and that takes money. That takes tens and tens of millions of dollars added to the payroll. Um, and the question is, is that going to happen? And if so, you know, that's kind of the one unknown we have right now. I think we know, Baltimore can draft well. I think we know they can develop players, and now we just know what their you know process for external transactions looks like. Can I speak to that? And obviously, your experience, with Mike Elias. Do you think that the draft philosophy changes? We're assuming that it's going to be the number one pick again this year. Of course, that still has to be confirmed, obviously, at some point uh, uh, via these conversations. But we're assuming it's the number one pick. At, at any point, do they need to change the philosophy? They need to draft more arms early on, or? Do you stick with this thing and then assume, hey, if you've gone this far, it's got to be because the plan is you're you're going to spend the money that's necessary. I mean, they did also, you know, move the left field wall back to try to make it more pitcher friendly at Camden Yards. Um, do you do you think the draft philosophy stays the same moving forwards? Yeah, I think it does, and and I I think it's just proven to succeed. I think they have taken players who've made the most sense for them of late, but I don't think we should read into that that Baltimore wouldn't take a pitcher early okay, um, or, or wouldn't take a pitcher first. I just don't think that's the case. I think it's important to note that this year's draft class is very dominated by position players. Right. Um, you know, I, I, it would be a real surprise, obviously, you know, we're talking at the end of February and that the way players change is remarkable between now and the draft. But, you know, right now, I don't know who that guy is who would maybe even be considered by Baltimore. And so, you know, even if they did take a hitter, you can't, and you say, oh, Baltimore's a big pitcher's high. 
they still might do it. I, I think, you know, in the first round, you take, especially when you're drafting that early, like, like take the guy you like, take the right player. And so, you know, I, I don't think that they just say, hey, we're not taking pitcher. I just think that's the way it's lined up. And, you know, to do it two or three years in a row um, is more of an anecdote than a trend. I, I, I get the sense. I, I, get, I get what you're saying. All right, Kevin Goldstein from Fangraphs. Uh, what can we plug for you? Obviously, we're going to link up the, uh, the prospects and, and everything you guys have going on, but what, can we, what else can we plug for you as far as what you're doing, what Fangraphs is doing? Uh, I, I have a podcast called Chin Music. It comes out every Friday. It is two-plus hours every week of, of baseball and other talk. There's uh, you know, everything from uh, yeah, independent music to having, you know, last, last week we had um, one of the world's best experts on Ukraine until I was trying to explain what's going wow. on there before all the stuff went down. Like we, it's mostly baseball is the best way to put it. Um, you can follow me on Twitter, Kevin underscore Goldstein. Of course, you can read my stuff and all the uh, other amazing writer stuff over at Fangraphs. And you know, go to Fangraphs.com and go. It's a bit of a PBS model there, and then hope you can uh, support us. It is free, but you know, we, we do depend on our on our readers to support what we're doing. He is Kevin Goldstein. You can follow him on Twitter, Kevin underscore Goldstein. Kevin, always appreciate you taking the time for us. Obviously, unique perspective that you bring because you know. We're trying to do what you guys did. <laughs> That's the way that it works around here. Thank you, as always, for taking a couple of minutes for us. Of course. Thanks, guys. Kevin Goldstein from Fangraphs with us here on GCR. Um, you know, yeah, and of course, that's the answer, right? Like, if the pitching's not there, then you have to bridge the gap and you have to spend the money on the pitching, right? Like, that's a it's a difficult thing to sell Orioles fans on believing because... They haven't done that. They don't do that, right. right. Correct. I mean, there's Ubaldo Jimenez and... Giovanni Gallardo. End of list. Yeah. You know, like, I mean, it's that there's just not a track record. And again, those guys you had to get later on in the process when their numbers came down, they were definitely not guys that were at the start of free agency and, and the big cash spendings in order to land pitchers. And for what it's worth, you hope that Grayson Rodriguez becomes the guy at the top of your rotation so you don't have to go get the top guy in free agency. Instead, what you're talking about is getting those types of guys, you know, maybe if the L Hall reverts back to course and is healthy this year and continues to track as a, a starting pitcher, that he's part of that solution. And you hope you maybe find one more who can be your Miguel Gonzalez type, mm-hmm. right? Like you find somebody else of that group that we're talking about, the the Cal Bradishes, the um Carter Baumlers, one of those guys that can just be your your back into the rotation, steady delivers you six or seven innings every fifth day, even if he's not brilliant, he keeps you in games. And if all of these guys we're talking about are panning out on the other side, you're going to have a better chance to win those games because you're scoring runs, right? Like you hope for the best in that way. But I think what Kevin is saying is the same thing, which is, yeah, you know, it's it's probably not there. You're probably going to have to do it from the outside at that point. The question becomes, will the Orioles do that? And there's no way for us to know the answer to that question just yet. And there are some guys, and he mentioned like a Carter Baumler, that sure. are they're mm-hmm. in the lower levels of the system that two years from now, we could be talking about them. Not in the same light that we talk about Grace no. Rodriguez and D.L. Hall, but maybe that next tier where they could be a solid three starter maybe, in maybe, your rotation. But, but I don't, as I keep saying, of course it can happen. Mm-hmm. And by the way, as we know, what John means, it could happen that you even have greater success than that, right? Um, you, I, you can't plan around you, it. No, you absolutely can't. And I do think that that has, is a good bit of why they did move that left field wall oh, back I, because now they can attract free agent pitchers. I, 
I, I think they realized it was the only way they were going to be able to track for the, like it, the argument that Keith Law made when we talked to him about it last week was like, well, money always works. Mm-hmm. Yeah, t- to some extent, except for the fact that like you have to outbid the next guy because the money in a pitcher's park, if it's even, is better money than the money at Camden Yards. You have to make your money if you're going to spend it even to the money in a, a better pitcher's park instead of having to outpay that team. How do we get ourselves in a place where we only have to pay the same amount as someone else would in order to land this particular player? Well, right. And if you keep Camden Yards the way it was, and then you're right. on you're on the you're on the same timeline basically as the right. Kansas City Royals. If the Royals with their cavernous ballpark at, at Kauffman Stadium, if they go out there and they make the uh, same offer, maybe a little bit less yep. than what the Orioles are offering, it's, that guy's probably going to Kansas City. Far more desirable desirable place to be. And now you know. Somebody would argue the National League had been, you know, you always try to get to the National League. Well, mm-hmm. now that there's going to be a DH in the National League, too, some of that is mitigated, right? right? So you mitigate the fact that National League is not quite as desirable as it was for pitchers, and now you combine that with the fact that you've moved your fence back. Uh, yeah, we don't have to take a break here. We can take it after we talk to Ken. Um, that you move the fence back, and, yeah, you make, you make yourself competitive, but still you have to prove that you're willing to spend the money. None of this means pitchers are giving you a discount to come to Baltimore. None of this means that suddenly you're the place everyone wants to be. It just allows you to be competitive. I mean, that's it. This gives you the opportunity to be competitive in trying to land pitching. I will still be surprised if the Orioles are ever the team that's spending wild and paying Max Scherzer money for a pitcher. I mean, I, I some of that can be you know, what we've experienced, and I need to give this group, you know, specifically uh, John Angelos the opportunity to, to, to show otherwise, but I'm going to be surprised if John Angelos gives that type of money to any pitcher. I, I'd love to be wrong about that. But if Grayson, Grayson Rodriguez succeeds at the level that some people believe he can succeed, they might not have to find that pitcher. It just might be that they have to pay the next group of guys, and that's who they're competing for. Next week, the NFL Combine in Indianapolis, and we really start throwing uh, draft season and kind of hyperdrive at that point. Our next guest is Press Boxes, NFL draft, draft expert. He's got content for you available now at PressBoxOnline.com, and he is our friend, Mr. Ken Zalis. He's back with us on GCR. What's going on, KZ? Good morning. Yeah, lots of lots of articles coming out fast and furious, yeah, getting they, people ready. Yeah, they are. By the way, did I see there was uh, good news for uh, Friends School this week in the, the basketball world? There was. The girls' basketball team finished up an undefeated year and won the uh, IAM C championship uh, uh, this week. So yeah, it's been a uh, been a fun little winter. I good like, way, good way to cap it off. I like that. I like everything about that. All right, uh, let's start by talking about the combine, Ken. Um, who is next week most important for? Like in 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 terms of the draft as a whole, and then tie it back to what the Ravens are concerned about. Who are the prospects that we have questions about that need answered or the guys that can most sort of change their reality again, draft as a whole and then related to the Ravens. Uh, probably it's kind of the same answers because uh, some of these guys are going to be, they're going to name in a, in a second are going to be uh, 
maybe on the on the Ravens uh, radar. I think uh, the number one guy that the combine is important, and I think it's important in only one aspect is Jordan Davis, the defensive tackle out of Georgia. Um, and the one aspect is how strong is he? Um, you know, he's a building with feet um, as far as a football player goes. But we've seen really big uh, guys before not really be that impressive at the combine. And many people think that Jordan Davis could approach the uh, almost two-decade-old record of 51 bench press, uh, 51 reps. Um, if he does that, uh, I think that some teams are going to have one of their question, one of their uh, questions answered uh, that he's plenty strong. Um, you know, and, the, and the 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 eye test will match the the strength test, and I think uh, he probably solidifies himself somewhere in the top fifteen, maybe uh, maybe even the top ten if a team wants to go that far. So I think for him, it, it it's an important day, uh, important week for him. Um, because there are some questions about him. I think, you know, sticking with defensive tackle, uh, the hottest name from defensive tackle right now is Travis Jones out of UConn. Mm-hmm. Um, absolutely dominant at the senior bowl, um, against better competition than he saw at UConn. Uh, if he puts up a, a huge number, um, this week and, and continues the the progression. Um, I have him as a mid uh, second rounder right now, and someone the Ravens could target at uh, their second pick uh, uh, of the draft. Um, he could, you know, go up a little bit. And then, you know, there are two guys that uh, one could be a first round surprise, um, and that's uh, Daxton Hill, uh, the safety out of Michigan. Um, he may just light this whole thing up with if he runs sub four three and shows off uh the explosiveness in the vertical and things like that. Um and then uh Tariq Woolen, who's a little bit under the radar and not many people may know his name because he played at UT uh San San Antonio. Uh, you know, we always talk about who's gonna win the combine, like it's uh like there's a prize for it. But this is a guy that may just win the combine and may just shoot up draft boards to the point where he's a, he's more of a second round uh, pick versus a, a fourth round pick um, at the cornerback position. So those are some guys that, that we're very eager uh, to look at. And then, you know, keep an eye, keep an eye on our local boy, uh, uh, Nick Cross, um, especially when it comes to uh, the vertical jump, um, uh, some people are expecting him to maybe approach some records um, when it comes to the vertical jump. We'll, we'll see what that is, but um, uh, you know, keep an eye on him to to get a bigger name outside of the state of Maryland. Um, you know, come at the end by the end of the combine. Cross, of course, the safety from the University of Maryland that Ken's talking about. Uh, any chance any of these tackles have like an Orlando Brown type of uh, moment and uh, could possibly fall to the Ravens and have everything work out quite well? Uh, I don't really think so. Um, I, I, you know, when I, when I look at, when I look at the, the top guys at offensive tackle, I mean, there's, there's four guys for me that stand out and that's, uh, uh, 
Ekwanu out of NC State, yep. Neil out of Alabama. Well, he's going number one now, so apparently that's, you know. I, I, Who's that? It, Neil appears to be like the consensus now, number yeah, one. Yeah, I've seen there. a lot of that. I, I still I, I still like the kid Ekwanu better than Neil, but that's just me. I mean, Neil's a really good, huge human being um, and a really good prospect. I, I don't think he's as athletic as uh, Ekwanu, but uh, okay. I mean, one of those guys make perfect sense at number one, and, and I think that Jacksonville is absolutely insane if they don't take a tackle. with, with Even if it's not their, at number one overall, if they trade back um, a little bit, um, they have to take a tackle with their first pick. But, you know, Charles Cross, who uh, if you go to PressBoxOnline.com, right now I threw up a, uh, a, a brief uh, summary of what I, what I saw from him with some of the film that I saw. I looked at uh, over the last week, and then my favorite guy is Trevor Penning um, out of Northern Iowa. Um, I, I just—he's a nasty tackle, uh, and I mean, and I—I I take this as he's just got that mean streak, and 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 just never stops until the whistle goes, which sometimes gets him in a little bit of trouble. Um, but I, I think those four guys are the consensus top four guys. Coming into the draft, I don't think any of them is going to have an Orlando Brown move. He is, uh, moment. He is Ken Zalas. He is our press box NFL draft analyst. He's with us here on GCR. Ken, let's start. Uh, you know, you brought up Dax Hill. Of course, the the Ravens know his family quite well. His brother being a Ravens running back, yep. Justice Hill. Um, and obviously, this conversation probably a bit more relevant when we talk about David Ajabo, who there still seems to be not a consensus. Some people think there's no chance that he's even available for the Ravens at 14. Some people don't think he's worthy of being a top 15 pick. Um, do you think the Mike McDonald thing matters? Like, do you think it should matter? Maybe it's because, you know, obviously you're not in the front office. You can't make answer that question. But do you think that it should matter that, Mike McDonald clearly knew exactly how to make David Ajabo work. And so if you're going to draft an edge rusher and he's sitting there at 14, why wouldn't you draft the guy that your defensive coordinator knows exactly how to use to get the best out of him? You know, it, it, it's, a, it's a funny dance because you, you, you basically ask three questions within one question. Yeah, fair. You're right. Um, it's fair. Um, you know, uh, should it matter? I mean, it shouldn't. You should take, at 14, the Ravens should take the best player available. If, if Jermaine Johnson, who I like a little bit more than Ojabu, um, I think he is... A, you know, we go to this dance again, and, and we thought last year he's the more complete, ready to step in right away and dominate. I think Ojabu has a, a wonderful uh, upside, um, but he's still learning the position to me. And um, so, so where do you go with that? And, and we talked the same thing, if you remember, back to the discussion with Owe and, and Tryon from last year with me. It was the, it was the same type of thing. And, and, uh, and Owe had a perfectly acceptable uh, rookie season um, to me. And I, you can see the traits that the Ravens really liked in the athleticism and, and, and things like that and how it could grow. My question is, is does the change in defensive coordinator change the philosophy of how the Ravens deal with rookie edge guys coming to their team. They've been very hesitant to let 
edge guys, just be go get the quarterback type guys, which I think as a rookie, I think Ojabu is that's how he has to come into the league. Like when you're in the game, your job is to go get the guy that that's going to get the ball first. And if they do that, yeah, it makes a lot of, it makes perfect sense to draft a guy like that, that knows how to use him and knows how to get him to the quarterback. I loved the way Daxton Hill was used in the Michigan defense. The Michigan defense isn't going to mirror what the Ravens defense is. It's all about personnel and things like that. So there's a lot more questions to be answered about that. Should it matter? No, you should take the best player available. Does it matter? It probably does a little bit. Uh, the three cornerbacks that I saw, by the way, Ken did a really nice thing for you, and he limited he he put the, together a list of of players that could be an option for the Ravens with the fourteenth pick, and it's it's only nineteen guys, so he's really zeroed in on exactly who it's going I'm to try, be. I'm trying. If I, if I don't, I'm going to go drive Ken, you I'm and not, everybody I'm and not, myself absolutely bonkers uh, with all these names. But, well, but yeah, I, I mean, uh, why, why list the guy that, that is going in the top five on this list? So, when, so it's I, interesting because I feel like once upon a time, and I, you're not alone, like Daniel Jeremiah had this guy falling to the Ravens. I, I, thought, I thought Derek Stingley was thought to be the top cornerback in this draft and – a top five caliber pick. Why is it all of a sudden that I see more and more people saying he could end up being there? And and in what way is he different than those other two corners that we've assumed were kind of going that range? Um, Andrew Booth from Clemson and uh, Sauce Gardner from Cincinnati. I'll be really honest. I don't know how Stingley gets to the Ravens. I, I, and I really struggle. He was the one guy on this list that I really struggled putting on the list because in my heart of hearts, I don't believe he's going to be there at 14. Okay. I think he is far and away the best corner in this draft. I hear you. Everybody seems to be okay. suddenly high on now, McDuffie. Like every, it seems like that guy is, is like the hot uh, shot he's coming up. But then, but then, then people that, you know, uh, I, I've always said this about my whatever knowledge you think I have as far as fantasy football in the NFL draft. I'm smart enough to know what I'm smart what, uh, that, of what I don't know. And I know there are people that are a lot smarter than I am and have a lot better access to him. And I start to see, like Jeremiah, (laughs) start to start to move this kid down. And I'm like, what am I missing with him? So I I felt like I would be doing a disservice for how I approach a, a draft board to not put him on this list. I think Andrew Booth out of Clemson or Ahmad Gardner, who everybody will call him sauce. So just start to call him sauce out of Cincinnati are much more reasonable if they decide to go corner um, with the first round pick. But it's funny, you know, uh, the Ravens have a history of this, don't they? Like, like, like really good players just fall to them in weird places in the history of the NFL draft. And does it happen every year? No, but it's happened enough that it's not a coincidence sometimes. Um, so maybe, maybe the kid, you know, you look at, you look at Stingley and, and maybe somebody says, you know what? He takes too many chances and he's going to get beat too many times. And they look at a guy like Diggs that came into the league and just set the world on fire early on and had all these, all, all these picks early yeah. on last year for Dallas. And it was great. And then, all of a sudden, he started getting beat, and he yep. started getting beat more and more. And and you're like, man, he's just he, he's just going for the ball every single time, and it was working out really well. And then we got some tape on him, and we're like, 
we're going to fool this guy. We're going to go, we're, we're going to do a double move and he's done. I think I, I like him so much as a prospect, but if I, you know, you get, you sometimes got to fool yourself into finding the negative in some of these prospects. Maybe that's the thing that they're concerned about with Stingley, that they just, you know, he's just so good uh, on tape and, and within that LSU uh, defense who, who really, you know, they weren't the normal LSU defense this year. Um, but maybe maybe people are starting to get worried that he's too much of a ball hawk at the corner position and there, there's some back-end trouble. That's the only thing I can really find there. Yep. I, I, if any of these corners... Uh, fell to the Ravens and they, that was the first round pick because they decided that that was the best player available. Or they, they decided that, that was the, 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 the position that they needed the most of, of the people that were around that part. I'm perfectly fine with that. Um, you know, I think the corner position, I get that, 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 you know, they're, they're sort of deep there, but they're sort of deep, but they're sort of not. They're starting to get up in age. They're starting to see injuries pile on to some of these guys. And the worst thing that can happen um, at the corner position and, 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 you know, the wide receiver position as well is when you, you utilize speed, you know, your whole career. And then all of a sudden, because injuries start to pile up and your, your age starts to jump on top of it, that speed isn't always there. So I think, I think a youth movement to a degree is needed at the corner position. So, um, so I, I got three that I think would be really good and, 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 and be pretty popular for the for for the Ravens at fourteen. All right, give me one more name, not for the first round, just for later on in the draft. Just a name that, if if people are nerds and they're like you and they sit around and they're literally going to watch these effing workouts next week, give me one more name that you would just say, hey, pay attention to this guy because he's a guy I like. He's not a first round pick. But he's a guy that I think could be an interesting fit specifically for the Ravens at another another point during the draft. Who's the name that you're throwing out there? Um, let's go with Cade Mays, the uh, the guard out of Tennessee. Um, uh, this guy is probably I want to say he's going to go third, maybe fourth round, um, but. He's a how do I? He's a smaller version of Ben Cleveland. Okay, which means he's not six eight, but this guy is an ox, and in the run game, he is a bulldozer. And I would be beyond thrilled if that's a guy that winds up on the Ravens later in the draft. Okay. All right, Cade Mays. Where do, what do you think he's like a, th- a third round type of guy? Right now? I think I think right now he's probably like a a low three, high four type guy okay. All right. um, in the draft. But we've seen guys like this slip a little bit more in in, in the last couple of years and, and wind up in the fifth round. I don't think that's the case with with, with Mays. I mean, this kid is 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 six five. He's three twenty. He's three twenty three thirty. Um, just, uh, uh, from a, from a run perspective, uh, he's one of the best guards in, in this draft. And, you know, I think, I, I think he winds up in the fourth when it's all said and done, but he's a guy that, 
uh, I would be really thrilled if the Ravens wound up with uh, at the end of the day. All right. Uh, one more thought. Uh, Brian Powell, this obviously has no impact on the Ravens whatsoever because he ain't getting there, but Brian Powell wants to know how you feel about Kyle Hamilton, who some people think is literally the best player in this draft. <laughs> he may be. Um, you know, I, I he's in the top five for sure. Uh, it It is... Kyle Hamilton is a unicorn. Um, that's the only way to describe him. You don't find many six four. I'm going to give him two twenty five pound safeties in the league. Those guys are actually playing linebacker Typically, yes. now. Um, and this guy can run. I, I mean, he, he. I love him. I I I I love him so much. If if he went number one overall, and he's not going to because he plays safety, I'm not arguing about it. He may be the best overall football player in this draft. That's how much I love him. I mean, unfortunately, just not going to matter for the Baltimore Ravens whatsoever. No, it's, it's not, not. But it's, it's like, I, I mean, uh, he's just like, he's that guy. I mean, you could you could line him up anywhere. You you really could. I mean, he could be the ball hawk. He could be the 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 strong safety that stops the run. You can use him as a linebacker off the edge. Uh, super blitzer. Did you say I, these I just, things about Isaiah Simmons a couple years ago, though? Uh, you know what? And Isaiah Simmons is... See, Isaiah Simmons has played pretty well, but this guy's bigger than Isaiah Simmons. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you can just lie. We we did, but but we also here's the thing. Isaiah Simmons was a little bit smaller, so we really didn't know where to put him. And his he played he played mostly linebacker, kind of in in college. Right. Whereas whereas Hamilton's been a safety. Yeah. Okay. Now they use him all over the field, but he's a safety. There's no nobody's nobody's saying. Is he a linebacker? Is he a safety? No, he, I mean we can put him at linebacker in a in a in a nickel set or something like that, and we can decide that we're going to line him up on the edge one time and and let him go get the quarterback because he's so athletic and so fast. But it's it's a different type of vibe. Okay. I guess right. I guess right. is, is the right. biggest thing between him and and Simmons. I'll listen to that. Uh, what's coming up at PressBoxOnline.com, sir? So we, like I said, we started with uh, a couple, uh, our first uh, in-depth look at a couple at uh, Charles Cross, the Mississippi State offensive tackle. We'll get into a lot more guys. Um, you know, a lot of the guys that are on that list of the 19, I'll start uh, previewing, um, start to preview some of my favorite guys later in the draft. We'll we'll do uh, we'll do our famous. Well, what if? What if the Raven our, our famous scenarios where well if the Ravens take a cornerback in round one uh, where, right, where are they going right, round two right. and round three and who are the guys they should look at so a lot of draft stuff between now and uh, and the end of April and uh, a lot of fun try to get everybody to to get some of these names into the front of their uh, of their head as as we continue along at fans fantasy on Twitter is how you follow him uh, we will talk to you in another couple of weeks thank you sir appreciate it sounds good man. Ken Zalas, Pressbox NFL Draft Analyst, joining us here on GCR. Ken loves underdog fantasy football, and I know you would too. You use the code Pressbox when you sign up. Make your first deposit up to $100, and we will match it. No, you cannot bet yet on your phone or on the computer in the state of Maryland, and that's a bummer, but you can play underdog fantasy football and feel like you're betting. Football season's over. 
but there are still plenty of basketball, hockey contests available. NBA is back tonight. And if they ever get around to baseball, you're going to be able to do that too. Player props, parlays, that makes you feel like you're betting. Uh, they also have the daily, the, the weekly traditional uh, fantasy games available for you. Underdogfantasy.com or download the Underdog Fantasy app. We'll come back in, get tidbit, tubular to wind down. It is a Thursday edition of Glenn Clark Radio. After being virtual in 2021, the CIAA Men's and Women's Basketball Tournament is headed to Charm City this February 22nd through 26th. The CIAA is an event that has become a celebration of family, culture, and accomplishments that uplift and strengthen the African-American community. See the excitement in person as some of the best college basketball in the country comes to Baltimore's Royal Farms Arena with the CIAA Men's and Women's Conference Tournament. Get your tickets now at CIAA. AA-tournament.org. That's CIAATournament.org. Sports betting has come to Maryland, and we're ready to help you win some money. Tune in for Simply the Bets with Glenn Clark and Paul Valley every Wednesday morning at 1130. Vandal Sportsbook GM Bruce Billick and VSIN's Aaron Oster join the guys every week to give you all the info you need and even to offer a few winners. So come win some money with us on Simply the Bets every Wednesday at 1130 a.m. Brought to you by the Vandal Sportsbook at Live Casino and Hotel Maryland. Listen at PressBoxOnline.com slash radio and watch at YouTube.com slash PressBox online. Glory Days Grill's winter seasonal menu is back with comfort classics like their house-made meatloaf and short rib grilled cheese. It also features the center-cut sirloin with grilled shrimp, the char-grilled pork tenderloin, grilled meatloaf sandwich, smoky thigh wings with Alabama barbecue sauce, and a Brussels and bacon appetizer. All of these items pair well with Devil's Backbone 8-point IPA or their anniversary IPA brewed by Devil's Backbone. And try their seasonal cocktails, Blood Orange Burger, Bourbon Cider, Apple Ginger Mule, and Captain's Hot Cider. Find out more and get your order in today at glorydaysgrill.com. Great food, good sports. It's another cold winter here in Baltimore, but this time there's no hot stove to warm you up. Hi, I'm Paul Valley, and while there may be no activity in the world of baseball, I'll still be here every week with my co-host Zach Goodman to give you all the latest in the CBA negotiations as teams look to get back on the field in time for spring training. You can watch us live every Saturday from 10 a.m. to noon at youtube.com slash pressboxonline or facebook.com slash pressboxsports and listen at pressboxonline.com slash radio. So tune in every Saturday from 10 a.m. to noon for the latest in baseball coverage right here on the Battleround. We can't imagine why you'd want to, but you can watch GCR live. It's at facebook.com slash pressboxsports and try to guess whether these guys are wearing any pants. So, Paul, what you're trying to say is you want me to forget that we agreed to make a bet with Drew Forrester and that right now it's not looking good for your chances uh, as far as that bet is concerned. I was actually thinking about that bet this morning while I was brushing my teeth. We we still didn't agree to what the loser has to do, and now you're probably going to push back strongly because you're feeling... No, you're feeling itchy. I, I said the thirty first. That's the that's the day that yeah. that I'm sticking with. Well, you know, the owner said it. if they don't agree in five days, it's not going to be the thirty first. Right. It's also nonsense, but whatever you got to do, it's such nonsense when they really posture that way. <clears throat> if we don't have something done in five days, then we're just simply going to cancel games. No, you're not. Ryan, no, you're not. Ryan Zimmerman said in an interview yesterday that the worst part of spring training was the spring training game. He said they're completely and utterly pointless for the for the actual major leaguers. Right, it's there is no point to them at all. Now they still participate, 
in part because they're in on it, right? What mm-hmm. they're in on is it is good. This is like spring training is profitable for the major league teams. Like they they could get to stick major league players out there, and the ticket prices are insane. I don't know how much they fluctuate in Florida because I haven't been in a few years. I, like I was planning a trip to Arizona again because it was my favorite thing being in Arizona. For, I I love Sarasota. Sarasota is wonderful, right? In Florida, there's the threat of rain whenever you make a trip. In Arizona, there's no threat of rain. You're going to go, and every game is guaranteed to be played exactly when it's supposed to be played. Mm-hmm. So everything about Arizona spring training was wonderful to me. So I was playing on a trip a couple years ago, and I started looking at like a Cubs game. And you couldn't get in. It was going to be $75 to get in to a Cubs spring training game. It's insane. It's nuts because they figured out how the system works. That being said, yes, you strike five more days out of spring training. You do a two-week spring training and you start playing games. It's a bummer for the teams because they want more time to look at their own guys. And it's most difficult for ramping up your pitchers, mm-hmm. right? Like what it means is you're going to be at a place where are going to start the regular season and your starting pitchers aren't all going to be ready yet. Right. They're, they're going to be more four-inning starts, three-inning starts at the beginning of the season because your pitchers aren't ready. But it's way better than canceling games and people losing money. Like, that's – it's insane. And, again, even if you get to a point where you agree that, like, March 31st is just not feasible, it's very simple. You just pick up that first week of the season and you move it to the end of the season. It's just not hard. You make sure that the, the dates are all available with the stadiums and – you know, like situations like in Baltimore where you share the stadium with the um, with the, or the share the parking lots with the Ravens. Right. You got to make sure that that it's all feasible, but you work that out. You work that out, and you fix the schedule. That's empty posturing from the owners because they're trying to puff out their chest and feel like they're big. <clears throat> if you guys don't agree now, you're going to lose games, and we're not going to make them up. It's just going to be lost revenue for you. Get the f out of here. The players will go. You're you're negotiating a CBA right now. You think the players are going to agree to something where they just sign up to lose money this season? Right. Come on. Again, I get that at some point, tangibly, if this drags on into April to May, tangibly, you're just not going to be able to play all 162 games. Like, you just can't do it. I get that. But right now, that's an empty threat. That's just a threat that's being made because the owners are trying to posture. All right, uh, Tidbit is brought to you today by the CIAA Tournament. Ticket's still available. It is, we're getting towards semifinal day tomorrow and then the championship games on Saturday at Royal Farms Arena. You're going to want to be there, experience it. Of course, all the great events that are still coming up throughout the week. CIAAtournament.org for the CIAA Tournament, uh, which continues the rest of the week at Royal Farms Arena. All right. Maryland takes on Virginia in lacrosse this weekend in the matchup of number number one versus number two. All-time Maryland is 47-46 and 46 versus Virginia, including 0-2 when playing for the national championship. Maryland has been to 27 Final Fours and been the NCAA Division I runner-up in the national championship 12 times. Aside from Virginia, who are the only other two teams to defeat Maryland twice for the national championship? To defeat Maryland twice. Um, wow, Syracuse. No, they've beaten them once. Princeton. No, once. I mean, I'm feeling that we're going to have to go back a little bit further because the ones that have yeah. done it more recently were first-time champions like like North Carolina. 
Yeah, you got you got to go back a bit. Yeah. So Hopkins. Hopkins. They've done it twice. Yeah. I mean, you just I, I got to go back and and oh god, who would the other one be? Going back a ways. The other one would be. The other one would be. Beat Maryland twice. Cornell? Cornell. Okay. Cornell beat them twice. Okay. All right. I don't know what years those would have been. The, the I think it was the first two times that Maryland played for the national yeah. championship. Cornell yeah, beat them. Yeah, that makes sense. We would have to go back a ways. So it was like 1971 or something like that. Okay, yeah. That makes sense. That makes sense. All right. Tubular is brought to you by Live Casino and Hotel. Of course, the FanDuel Sportsbook at Live Casino and Hotel is open. And you can win your share of $10,000 cash just by signing up for Live Rewards. Live Rewards members are also eligible for up to $20 in free play. Got to get signed up by March 31st because the cash drawings are on April 1st. FanDuel Sportsbook, Live Casino and Hotel Maryland in Hanover. Here's what's coming up tonight, totally tubular-wise. As uh, Maryland is back in action tonight, they're on the road at Indiana trying to you know, put something together here late in the season. I, I, there's nothing yet to say about it, but, you know, if it continues, maybe at some point there will be. 7 o'clock, Fox Sports 1, uh, Maryland, Indiana tonight. Uh, Big Ten hoops, otherwise Ohio State and Illinois at 9 on FS1. CIAA tournament continues from Royal Farms Arena right now. Livingstone and Johnson C. Smith women. Uh, 2 o'clock, Bowie State and Virginia State women. Then tonight, uh, men's quarterfinals, Livingstone and Lincoln at 6, Winston-Salem State and St. Augustine's at 8. Mount St. Mary's is the Sacred Heart tonight at 7 on NEC Front Row. The rest of the college basketball, find at glennclarkradio.com. NBA is back tonight on TNT, Celtics net 730, Warriors Blazers at 10. ESPN's got Capitals Rangers at 7 o'clock. ESPN Plus and Hulu for Blue Jackets Panthers at 7 o'clock. The Golf Channel for round one of the PGA's Honda Classic at 2. WWE Network for NXT UK at 3. Axis TV Impact Wrestling at 8. Some non-sports highlights. Uh, Lionel Richie, Katy Perry, and Luke Bryan are going to be on Jimmy Kimmel Live tonight. Uh, so if it was just Lionel Richie, I would be interested. Or if it was just Katy Perry, frankly, I might be interested. The combination, I'm out. It's just they're talking about American Idol. I'm, I'm good. Fair enough. Uh, you have Law & Order, Law & Order Special Victims Union, Law & Order Organized Crime from 8 to 10 tonight on NBC. Um... Jersey Shore Family Vacation at 8 o'clock on MTV. And then the uh, Max Original documentary premiere of Billiard. Uh, and then Las Bravas, it's a Max Original um, season one premiere all on HBO Max. Doesn't mean anything for me, but I'll, I'll uh, sure, we'll, we'll go with it. All right. Uh, thanks today to Nick Timberlake from Towson. Thanks to the legendary DJ Cool, Kevin Goldstein from Fangraphs, Ken Zalis. We'll get it all up in the greatest hit section of the archives. Tab at glennclarkradio.com. Um, Stuff and things tomorrow on the program. We'll find you'll find out when we find out. How about that tomorrow on the program? Thanks to everybody at Pressbox, all of our great sponsors and partners, including Glory Days Grill, Royal Farms, CIAA Tournament, Great Eights Memorabilia, Live Casino and Hotel, Underdog Fantasy Football, Blue Line Canine, your local Toyota dealer, buyatoyota.com. Thanks to Paul. Follow him on Twitter at Paul Valley the Third. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Glenn Clark Radio. Have a great Thursday evening. Go Maryland. Go Mount St. Mary's. Duke sucks. Ohio State sucks too.